Comics. Movies. Music. Video games. Technology. Blu-ray. Television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. You're listening to the Whedonverse Podcast. A retrospective, spoiler-free podcast where we discuss the movies, series, comics, and games created or inspired by Joss Whedon. With your hosts, Mr. Universe. Number five, do the dance of joy. And the clairvoyant. Well, you're right about this being a bad idea. Also brought to you by the Tangent Bound Network. This episode, we'll discuss Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Season 2, Episode 1, When She Was Bad, and Episode 2, Some Assembly Required, as well as the non-canon comic, Viva Lost Buffy. the vampire slayer season two episode one when she was bad written and directed by joss whedon original air date september 15th 1997 all right welcome to season two whedon vs podcast so long we had a break last week we're back yeah i don't even remember the episodes we're reviewing <laughs> uh and last minute feedback that came you know we recorded last week forever ages ago and so some last-minute feedback that came after that episode was recorded. Uh, Jackie Dominique on Twitter mentioned, let us know, as we told our fans to, that they were Kool-Aid... Kool-Aid? <laughs> they were Kool-Aid bursts that Willow's drinking sporadically throughout the season. Which, which makes her cuter. That's fantastic. I I would have never guessed that. So yeah. that's awesome. Also... Pointed out some other little facts, like the year Degrassi aired and stuff like that. So uh, we have named her a head researcher because we won't do it. She's the head boy. She's our little sleuth. That's not true. None of that's true. Also, Stephanie M. on Twitter, BadWolfBay87, pointed out that in our teacher's pet episode, uh, Buffy says, oh, thank you, not no thank you, like the clairvoyant thought, when she accepts the water from Giles. Oh, yeah. So that's your bad. I forgot entirely about that. Why do you expect me to remember that? <laughs> but yeah, this episode, season two, we we're supposed to get a special guest. Uh, they had to postpone a couple weeks. They'll be with us in a little while. Not next week, the week after. But you'll be excited. I'm excited. So this episode, When She Was Bad. We kick off the season with When She Was Bad. Do you think that's named after the 1979 film? I didn't know there was a 1979 film. So it's safe to say you didn't. you didn't think it is. I didn't. I did not. But it probably was. Yeah, it's about some woman and abuse being abusive or grumpy or something. I don't know. I didn't read the plot really. <laughs> That's what this episode's about. But this episode's written and directed by Joss, so I have high hopes. You better not let me down, sir. <laughs> so the chosen one speech in this episode. There's a. There's. It, it starts with the chosen one speech, like the whatever generation, blah, blah, blah. and also. Last season on Buffy, but both are done by Tony Head. So that was a twist. They fired their voiceover guy in between seasons. He couldn't keep him. He couldn't afford to. <laughs> but we start in a graveyard this season, which does become a trend. 
Yeah. Season trend. Yeah. It, it, I mean, the first season obviously didn't start in a graveyard, but it didn't make sense for the story. And then this becomes a running thing. Not that it spoils anything, but it happens. Yeah. And Willow and Xander walk in next to a graveyard playing the film trivia game where they reference the Terminator with the line, in a few hours we had together, we love we we lived a lifetime's worth. And Planet of the Apes with it's a madhouse, it's a madhouse. No, he doesn't it's <laughs> a madhouse, it's a mad And Willow cuts him off Planet of the Apes. He's like, Can I finish? Ouch. And then he kinda of swoops his head and points like your turn. And she says, Use the force, Luke, because she can't think of anything. Which isn't even a line. It's from Star Wars though. But I don't think they ever say that. Maybe. And then they complain that this has been the most boring summer ever. And maybe it's the hiatus between seasons, or maybe it's, like, the strain that the two characters had at the end of last season. But I feel like their relationship seems, like, different. In this scene, at least. Like, less jolly. Um, I think they're... <laughs> when Buffy's gone, the death of Jesse really starts to impact them. <laughs> yeah. Like, man, I miss Jesse. <laughs> let's, well, go, let's call him up, see what he's... Oh, yeah. This is the first summer that's been just us. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But Xander is so bored, he's actually excited to start school. But not because of Buffy, because he's so over her, according to himself. Yeah, he's just like school. <laughs> and Buffy, we find, has been in L.A. all summer with her dad, and they haven't really heard from her at all. So that's the pre-technology era for you. They didn't even try paging her? <laughs> she sent some postcards. But nowadays, it'd be like like, like she never left, because she'd be texting and Facebooking and all that. Send some postcards? I think they established that Sunnydale's like three hours away. <laughs> yeah, but Willow says that she sends some postcards. But he uh, ice creams Willow's nose and then quotes a witness. I don't remember what he says. <laughs> I don't either. But it's super flirty. And she's like, my nose is cold. And he's like, well, let me get that for you. And I, just, I was like, wow, I ship oh. this kind of hard. Yeah, it got really cute real fast. <laughs> and then his line, like, I can't help myself. Your nose looks tasty. He, like, wipes up. Ugh. Like, he was going to bite it. He was going to bite it off her nose. Like, that's so cute. Adorable. And then they're just, like, they're close, and they're going in. They're about to kiss. You're like, whoa, when did this happen? It was a boring summer. <laughs> so intimate. And Christoph Beck's wonderful score, wonderful composer. And he came around for this season. And just, wow. It's so, like, you can immediately tell it's so different and it's just such a memorable like pieces that he writes and so right when the music starts you're like wow like, we like to introduce important people to the show so let's talk about Kristoff uh, Kristoff Beck started composing this season he does seasons sporadically he doesn't do all of them uh, but he's a great composer that you'd recognize from he did the new Muppets movie I believe yep. he did uh, he's doing Ant-Man he, I can't remember all the stuff he's done. Like, lots. lots, lots and lots. If you think of something, chances are he worked on it. He's he got really big. I don't know if that was exclusively after Buffy or if he was already big. But uh, to compare Christoph back to you know the last, the composer of last season, you know he did a lot of you know mood music, a lot of yeah, just. just background tones <laughs> right just like action beats and like nothing really like memorable no melodies really just tones. orchestra hits and jungle beats are what oh, stick out for me <laughs> but christoph beck added melody to it 
Yeah, and the one thing that he's really known for, at least among Buffy fans, uh, is that you know he has his pieces are memorable. They have names. Fans know them. You know, they know the song Close Your Eyes. They know the song, I think it's The Gift. Like, you could recognize that if you heard it, which is not really a common thing you can say for someone who does the score for a TV show. Right. But yeah, Willow and Xander have had such a boring summer, but they had the whole summer to get all flirty. But they're just doing it now, just before they go back to school. They could have had a summer fling. (laughs) But just now, just last second, they're like, let's 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 do something about this. How do you know this hasn't been going on all summer though? This like, I guess I figure it'd be brought up more. Anyway, they almost kiss, but they pull away, and there's a vampy there, and Xander can't even fight it very well. But good thing Buffy can, because she pops out of nowhere and beats beats the hell out of it. Yeah, with a new uh, scream two hair. Yeah, so she says hi guys. She kicks the vampire back onto a tree where the conveniently placed spiky low-hanging branch is hanging. Which is not not accurate. Like, it doesn't look like it belongs on that tree. But, hey, it killed a vamp. Death count one. Yeah, vamp death count one for the entire season. And the dusting effects are so much better, too, than I'm used to. First thing I noticed, I think, wow, that's actually good dusting. Sort of. And then Buffy's like, miss me? And then opening credits. The whole energy already for this season completely different. Yeah. And the opening credits has some different clips in there, I noticed. And David's a part of it now, too. David Boreanaz as Angel. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that. This is our uh, the big debut of David Boreanaz as a regular cast member. Yeah. After the credits, Xander hugs Buffy way too much. Like, three times. Like, she, like, hugs Xander, hugs Will, and then goes, <laughs> Xander's one, like, hugs her, like, whoa. Yeah. He's, man, your timing really doesn't suck. But how does she know where to even find Like, that's just pure luck. Graveyards. There's no way that she knew they were going to be there and they were going to get attacked at that time. That's just luck. Well, Buffy gets lucky. Maybe she has Slayer cramps. I think... <laughs> no. I think it was just... Because she didn't... Re- they mentioned later in the episode that it's been a slow summer. There hasn't been any vamps. But she probably assumed that they were fighting vamps in the graveyard. And so she went to the graveyard... That's still a lucky guess. <laughs> it's night in Sunnydale. They have nothing. They're either going to be at the bronze or at the graveyard. Or at home. <laughs> no. <laughs> she says, did either of you even have a cross sloppy, which is mommy Buffy? But, but they mentioned that that's the first vamp they've even seen since the master died. And the vampires must have come back just for Buffy. That's so sweet. Yeah. I'm sure she's so happy about that. <laughs> And Xander is overly excited now, now that Buffy's back. He's asking about Buffy's summer. He compliments her hair, which, as we said, is shorter and blonder because they filmed Scream 2 in between the seasons. And then she asks, did you have fun without me? And Willow says yes, and at the same time Xander says no. Which Willow gives some filthy looks. That's worded wrong. (laughs) She gives, like, the stink eye. (laughs) She gives him some looks. And Xander says the biggest excitement was burying the master, which was over by some tree. And Giles buried the bones, and they poured holy water while wearing robes. And it seems strangely respectful for their their biggest enemy. Well, it's a ritual. It's you know they don't want anyone to dig up the thing. Like it's like a, you know, it's more of like a a cultist thing, like a witch thing than a 
you know, than some religious thing. They're not like lowering the casket. Like, yeah, I know, but it just it must have been a ritual because like they don't get to bury like Jesse who got dusted. Like they nobody else gets to get buried except for like no the one person. else has bones. Yeah, so that's where another plot hole comes in. I feel like the reason he has bones was to tie season one to season two with this episode. I don't think it's a plot hole. I'm pretty sure it was entirely on purpose that he has bones. <laughs> yeah, but I think the reason he has bones is to tie that season to this one with this episode. Yeah. Which a lot of critics didn't like that. They think that it was poor taste to kind of carry over that storyline and bleed it into the beginning of this one. Uh, this yeah, season. I feel they should have just let the season be its own season rather than trying to start it off with the master. Right, because you feel like he's done. You're like, I'm done with him. I don't have to think about him anymore. And then the season starts off. You're like, oh, I have to think about him some more. But, yeah, Willow asks Buffy if she's seen Giles. And Buffy's like, well, why would I do that? I'll see him at school, which is a, a good point. But he is your watcher. So. Yeah. And you should have been keeping tabs with him throughout, considering yeah. he's not just the librarian. Yeah. But ever since they mentioned the master to Buffy, she seems distant and weird, which becomes more prevalent as we will see and later buffy's parents are having a little friendly argument over how much clothes buffy's dad let her buy his hair hank summer's hair is worse than season one <laughs> like i didn't think it could happen but uh hank's well, yeah, a, i see no problem with his hair yeah you're wrong you probably have the same haircut as him you know i don't you know that <laughs> but Hank says that Buffy stayed out of trouble and was great, but... And then Joyce's mommy senses kick in and she knows something's up. So Hank says, well, she was distant, not brooding or sulking, just distant, which we've seen a little glimpse of. And he admits that yeah. he may have overcompensated by buying her, like, 17 suitcases full of shoes. Yeah, he says the more time he spends with her, the, the less it felt like she was actually there with him. Now I feel bad for him, really, because he rarely sees her, but he's clearly trying as a dad, and then he spends a summer with her for once, and then he clearly thinks it's all his fault that she's all distant and stuff, and that he's not good enough, and it's like, he gets one summer with her, and she's like that. Like, that just, that kind of sucks. Yeah. And they lament about parenthood together, and at least their divorcee is on good terms. Like, they're not, like, angry at each other or bitter or fighting. Like, they're pretty good terms as far as divorcees go. Yeah, and, I mean, considering they were together just before season one, you know, they were together, they divorced, and then Joyce moved to Sunnydale, you know. Yeah, um, they're pretty recently they're, divorced. Yeah, then, you, you know, it's, you know, they're, they've made up quickly. I ship them. <laughs> There's a cut line in this scene where Hank says, oh, I'm spoiling her. Did I forget to mention that? And Joy says, well, what you forgot is that I'm going to have to deal with another year if Daddy would let me buy it. Yeah, which is true. Yeah. Teenagers. At school, Cordelia kicks off the season complaining. Her parents promised her they go to St. Croix, but instead they went to Tuscany, which St. Croix is in the Virgin Islands, and Tuscany is in Italy, so either way she's spoiled. <laughs> Yeah, wow, I didn't didn't bother Googling those locations. But she's great. No one has suffered like I have suffered. <laughs> oh, Cordelia. You were part of the gang and now you're back. <laughs> and her hair is much lighter this season, too, speaking of hair changes, second season hair changes. Yeah, it's like a, a light brown, yeah. 
And Snyder, meanwhile, is complaining to Giles about the students, comparing them to locusts. <laughs> yeah. Giles is, gets totally distracted. Yeah, but his hair is much taller this season. Giles? Yeah. Taller? Yeah. <laughs> Pay attention to it. You'll be like, wow. And he says, I do enjoy these pep talks, but have you ever considered that due to this abhorrence of children that school principal was perhaps not your true vocation? Which is such a Giles line, because there's so many big words to say an easy concept. <laughs> yeah. And he basically says it's a tough job, but someone has to do it. <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, what we've, we've tried to... Pick Snyder's brain. We, yeah, we've speculated on Snyder's character before. And this feels more like we were, you know, we were wrong and that he doesn't really care about him. He's just like, you know, he just wants to... Keep an eye on them. Yeah, make sure they don't burn down the world. (laughs) And he says, anytime a pretty girl walks by, every boy turns into a gibbering fool. So cue pretty girl and gibbering fool because uh, Jenny approaches Giles. Yeah, they they, they chat. Snyder continues to babble on without looking back once, describing exactly what they're doing, really. (laughs) Yeah, he's like delivering a monologue by himself while Giles and Jenny have some chemistry going on behind him. And they head. They decide to head to the faculty room while Snyder's still going on, calling kids hormonal time bombs. And great line he ends it with: "I might as well be talking to myself." <laughs> yeah, which he is at this point. If you haven't caught on, now I think they did a pretty good job with this opening, like reacquainting you to all the big players in the show. Yeah, yeah, because it kind of like briefly touches on all of them. So you're like, "Who is that again?" Like just reminding people that are new to the show or people that are just. You know, it's been a season wait. They're just waiting, reminding them, like, who these characters are. Yeah, the master, Angel. Well, okay. Miss <laughs> Calder tells Giles that over the summer she was at Burning Man in Black Rock, which, what an intense teacher. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, she's, she has some hobbies. You should have been there. You would have hated it with a fiery passion. <laughs> And Giles admits that he spent a summer with a nose in the book. And he says, I suppose you find that dull. And she says, depends what book. And it sounds so flirty and like almost like innuendo, but I can't figure it out. I don't get it. Is she talking about Fifty Shades of Grey? <laughs> I think she, well, it just sounds like, you know, he's like, oh, you probably think I'm boring. And she's like, no. You know, it sounds like you're saying, no, not necessarily, you know. But the thing we have, we've established, like, her, like, apparent hatred of books so yeah so it depends on what does she mean like porno <laughs> is it a net book yeah there we go <laughs> but either way there's a lot of chemistry between the two this season xander shows up calls giles g-man <laughs> yeah which confirms half-life 3 <laughs> it, it does it's subtle how they put that in an episode that happened like 10 years ago <laughs> yeah wait 10 years ago well, I don't know. I didn't count. This is like almost 20. Oh, yeah, I guess you're right. Wow, I'm old. But Giles says, nice to see you. Don't ever call me that. <laughs> and Buffy's looking all distant again, which, man, she was fine for like two seconds. And they had to bring up the master. And now she's all weird. Like, you can't even smile for Giles. Just chill out. <laughs> I got real mad in this episode. Just, just you wait. But <laughs> Yeah, I did too. And Willow announces loudly, Buffy killed a vampire last night. Which, 
Buffy said, I think you can get a little more volume if you speak from the diaphragm. <laughs> it's in the middle of like a, a busy hallway. Crowded hallway. <laughs> yeah. And it's a but it's a perfect setup for exposition because Giles then explains to Jenny that there's still vamps in Sunnydale because the Hellmouth is closed but still active. Which that's why they threw it in there. Just to remind people that yeah, there's still gonna be vampires, by the way. <laughs> this yeah. is why don't give up on the show. And then Giles decides that he must consult his books about the vampire. Nothing new. <laughs> and Xander uh, wins a bet. Eight minutes and 33 seconds. So Willow has to pay up <laughs> because he bet that Giles couldn't go 10 minutes without consulting his books. <laughs> yeah. And that was a very fast eight minutes. Yeah. That some, took seconds. <laughs> that's some good Joss writing, this episode. Like, that's that's a very, like, quickly thought up like just just as a witty quick clever joke so very good joss writing right there but moody buffy feels like something is naggingly wrong like with the episode and that's the purpose i guess but it just feels like there's an underlying like anxiety like stop it be normal <laughs> yeah like just everything else is normal just be normal <laughs> but yeah it's like the point of the episode is that like buffy is like unhappy but you're like, hey, this episode, it's, it would be good if you were happy. <laughs> right. Yeah, like it drags down the episode a little bit, which is weird because it's the point of the episode. But yeah, that's weird. exactly how I felt. And a lot of critics agree with that, too. They think that it was a good episode, but Buffy being like this was not good. And I'm like, that's, but that's the point. Yeah, it's just weird. It's a weird conundrum. Yeah, it makes perfect sense, too, because, like, you know, she fought, like, she died. She, like, like this is clearly it's her dealing with the effects of you know PTSD post traumatic stress disorder, but and that that's perfectly acceptable and it would almost feel wrong to not include it, but right. it still just feels like that's what hurts the episode. <laughs> I think it's partially because nobody else knows how to handle it. I think it's because we are selfish and we just <laughs> <laughs> yeah that too. But uh, Buffy wants to jump right into training. Giles says you know, she can have a few days, but no, she's down. She wants to train. She wants to punch. Yeah. So in the library, Buffy's doing some crazy training to some hard rock and knocks Giles on his ass. And then she gets way too into beating up her dummy. And she gets some like some hot flashes at the master's face. Who's <laughs> not Mark Metcalf. Yeah, if you listen to our it interview is- with Mark... You already know that this is David Boreanaz playing the master here. And it, pause it, it doesn't even look like Mark Metcalf. Yeah, he looks like, so it, different. He's got like such a like wide face, and he looks so silly. And the nose like, is wrong, and the face shape's all wrong. And so much makeup, though. So much, like, five, probably about five hours of makeup for literally one second of screen time. It's less than a second. It is... It is a fraction of a second. It is so small, such a quick flash. It's like a subliminal message like, just bleeps at you. And... I felt so bad for the, the makeup team <laughs> who are getting, you know, you know that they're working, you know, overtime, probably on the set at like five in the morning just to do this, just to do a, it's like, oh yeah, we just want a quick little quarter of a second flash of the master. I feel bad for everybody. I feel bad for David. I feel bad for the people that run the budget. <laughs> He's just... I feel like David volunteered. Yeah. Because there's no other reason that it would be David. I think he volunteered. Well, I think it's because he's 
you know, I think it was probably just a toss-up between the few males they have in the cast. and They could get any extra. It's weird that they got someone who's now a regular cast member. Because they don't have to pay them extra. They can just pay them for the episode. But just get one of the extras who's already there, one of the vamp extras. Then he's a key player, and they got to pay him more. It's just, it's you, you don't understand Hollywood. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but she lights up her dummy, then breaks it, even though Giles was telling her to stop. But she is soups agitated. She's messed up. And she's ready for whatever's coming after her. Soups? Yeah. Uh, we cut to some creepy warehouse, because whatever's coming next, we see a vampire named Absalom. Absalom? Do we ever hear his name? I don't think we do. It's, it's weird it's like, there's a whole cult of vampires here. Like, probably a good five or six of them. We don't know any of them. They have names. They're credited with these names, but I don't think they're ever said. Yeah, Absalom, you know, he's, he's, seems like he's going to be a pretty big player, but they never say his name in the series once, to my recollection. Yeah, so he's giving a peppy talk to the other vamps. I like, correct me if I'm wrong, I think this is the first African-American vampire we've ever seen in the show. I believe you're right. And we, he's got charisma. He's got, like, the... He's, like, one of those, like... Old Baptist preachers. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, one of those preachers that just, like, draw you in and you're like, this is entertaining me. Yeah. And, but, since he's the first African-American vampire, like, I understand why there wasn't in the first season, because it's almost like they need a different prosthetic entirely. Or just a lot different makeup than they've been using. Like, not I'm not trying to make this into a race thing. It's not. But I'm just saying that, legitimately, like, you need different shades of prosthetic. So maybe they just didn't even have the budget in the first season to do that. From a friend who's in the industry, uh, I've heard that, yeah, blending to the skin tone is, you know, much more difficult when it's a skin tone that, you know, if it's not your own skin tone... Because, you know, a lot of people do their own makeup, and then so what they're doing other people's makeup, you know, they're, they have kind of a reference. Right. But if you're, you know, if you are a Caucasian, and then you're doing an African-American skin tone, you know, you're you're kind of out of your element. You're not used, these aren't the skin tones you're used to blending in. So I can see that being a challenge. It's something that they just didn't want to play with in the first season. Yeah. But Absalom, or Absalom, let's call let's find a fun way to pronounce his name. <laughs> like Absalom sounds cool, or we've got Abs Alarm. Abs. Let's call him Abs. So Abs Abs mentions that in three days their new hope will arise. And so far, the villains seem exactly the same as season one. Yeah, they're this guy just picked up where the master left off. He's like, damn it. But he indicates he turns and indicates to little Madagascar, who tells him that he will show them the way. <laughs> His name is Colin. And later at a lounge at school, Buffy's being distant. Because what else is new? But the set actually is. The set is new. So it's safe to say they got a budget raise because they've got more than one set. Hooray! <laughs> but uh, Lounge does show up a lot later on. This is the first instance of it. And Buffy says, she's fine. She's fine. But Xander is like, you can tell us where your bosom friends were the friends of your bosom. <laughs> Very Xander. Very Xander line. Which Willow, I think, calls him out on saying that. Yeah. And it's such a BFF move. Willow and Xander, like, they look in their lunches, and then they just, like, throw them to each other. Like, just swap them. Just toss them across the way. Yeah. Like, like, nope. They don't have to, like, say anything. They just know, like, Xander wants an apple, Willow wants a granola bar. They just switch. Like, they don't need to vocalize it. And it's so small, but I just love it. Because it's like, there's just a sense... 
that they have of what the other person's thinking. Love it. Yeah. Well, yeah, because yeah, it's great because they just they know each other that well. They just don't no need for words. They get away. No, it just seems more likely that Willow would want the apple and Xander would want the chocolate covered granola bar. Maybe Willow is a sweet tooth. Maybe. But uh, Buffy's talking about her weird dreams and Willow, tell me about it. The other night I dreamt that Xander and Xander gives her like this go on look and she's like, it wasn't Xander. In fact, it wasn't even me. It was a friend's dream and she doesn't even remember it. <laughs> Which is an awful save. The worst backpedaling. <laughs> and there's a poster in the background. It says, do you plan your schedule around this habit? And it shows somebody watching TV. Which makes me laugh because that's exactly what this demographic audience is doing right now. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, Giles shows up, tells Buffy that he thinks he knows what's going on, and she says she can deal with it, whatever it is. And he's, he laughs and he's like, I wish it were that simple. I've killed you once. It shouldn't be that hard to do it again. And I was like, what? Yeah, I was like, Giles, that's dark. That's not. She's not happy about this fact. And he knocks her onto a table and just starts strangling her. Just like backhands her and starts strangling her. I was like, what? And Xander and Will are just eating their snacks. Smiling at each other, flirty, like not caring. Yeah. And uh, she peels off Giles' face. And it's the master. Again, David. So we've we've got four seconds of screen time now. Yeah, and... It's kind of weird that they had to make like a Giles mask. <laughs> right. So I could... So they could peel it off. And if you watch, after she peels it off, she's still holding it. You can see it in her hand as she's getting strangled. It looks really weird. But uh, if you didn't guess it, this is all a dream. Hopefully not a prophetic one. <laughs> and Buffy looks over and her window's open. And then she looks away and then looks back and Angel's inside. Which, I'm a big Angel fan. That's a little creepy. That's so creepy. He just knows she's back. He's in her room. And like that was fast, too. Did he scamper up the shingles? Like, he says, mind if I come in? And I think it's a bit too late to say no. He's in. You can't say no. <laughs> and he can't bring in bad news. What a guy. And Bobby says, let me guess. Some of your cousins are in town for a family barbecue and we're all on the menu. And Angel tells her that the anointed one, hooray, the anointed one, has been yeah, gathering yeah, yeah. forces. We still care about him. Yeah, I never did. And as Mark Metcalf had said in the interview, he never realized his full potential in season one because he's just a kid. But, yeah, Angel tells her the Nordic one's been gathering forces and he's concerned that Buffy isn't concerned. And she's like, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Not like that. And she already died. What does she have to fear? Right. And Angel's like, you're underestimating just because he's a useless villain. Well, he says kid. <laughs> and... He's got power. Paraphrasing. Yeah. He's got power, and the other vampires listen to uh, Once again, paraphrasing. <laughs> and But Buffy's grouchy. She's like, is that it? You woke me up from a really good dream, which is such a lie, unless you're into that. Yeah, we don't know if she... <laughs> maybe it was a good dream. Yeah, maybe that's what she likes. But maybe she's just grouchy with him because he played the master in her dream. Maybe. <laughs> but she lays down and rolls over as Alison Krauss and Union Station play. She lies down, actually. And he's like, sorry, I'll go. I missed you. And she goes to say she missed him, too, but he's gone. Like Batman. Just out the window. Like Batman. Yeah. Missed you. <laughs> I heard, actually, that David Boreanaz was one of the choices for Batman because of his role as Angel. Yeah, he could play a good Bruce Wayne. I could see it. 
I could see all around, really. Yeah. But uh, Buffy's mom is taking her to school the next day and trying to strike a conversation. Not working. She says, there's the slightest chance that if I asked you what was wrong, you would tell me? And of course not, because it would take the fun out of guessing. And Buffy has her shades on. Yeah. She doesn't say like, a word. No. And the shades make her just feel even more distant. Yeah. Because you I can't see her eyes. Point. I think that's the point. I think that's like a directing decision. But Willow asks Buffy if Angel's visit had to do with kissing. <laughs> Willow's such a child, and I love it. <laughs> and Buffy says, not everything's about kissing. And Xander's like, yeah, some stuff's about groping. It wasn't about groping, was it? <laughs> but Buffy's locker's really different. Uh, she must, Maybe she got a new locker, because in between different year. But she's just got a couple post-it notes and a Razorback sticker. And uh, Xander says, did you guys hear that Shibo is going to be playing at the bronze? Which... Willow's like, they're playing? And Xander's like, no, they're clog dancing. And Shibomato can clog dance? Oh, sarcasm. I would actually be kind of excited if I heard Shibomato was coming. Uh, because John Lennon's son's in there. But how did she not hear they were coming? Because their stickers are on every surface in the background, including Buffy's locker, I'm pretty sure. There's posters, there's stickers, everything. And even the bronze is a big sign that says Shibo Mato is here. So they think they included this to try and get more exposure for their bands, like so they don't just see it but they know the name? Or do you think it was because it was a bigger band? Or just so they could brag that they knew how to pronounce Shibo Mato? I have no idea. Either way, Cordy shows up. She's like, oh, look, it's the Three Musketeers. And they kind of stop dead in their tracks. <laughs> they kind of make fun of her. Oh, because... Was that an insult? <laughs> Kind of like Punch, the Three Musketeers are cool. <laughs> She's like, oh, okay, yeah, I, I, I see what you mean. <laughs> I think you mean the Three Stooges. And she asks if they fought any demons this summer, and she's actually interested. Like, it's not like a casual conversation. Like, it's like, a, interested. Cordy wouldn't make casual conversation with them for no reason. I love the line, like, big squiggly demons that come yeah. up from the ground. Because <laughs> they said, yes, our own personal demons, like lust and thrift. <laughs> <laughs> And she's like, no, like big squiggly demons. And then Buffy is grouchy at this joke. She's like, I would have went with Stooges also. Because, f*** Buffy. And <laughs> they feign ignorance. They're like, and they're like, Cordy, we can't. Well, they, don't say, they don't call her Cordy, just me. They're like, Cordelia, we can't mention that stuff to other people. Like, have you told anyone? And she's like, are you nuts? Do you think I'd tell people that I spent an evening with you? So that's how we know for sure. That their secrets are safe with Cordelia. <laughs> yeah, she would never admit to hanging around them. But Bobby's like, sounds good. You don't tell anyone I'm a slayer, I won't tell anyone you're a moron. This is rude. Why? Yeah, that was out of nowhere. It was uncalled for. And then she storms off and Cordelia's like, what? <laughs> like, what did I do? <laughs> At the bronze, Shiva Mata's got another huge sign, as we mentioned. Because why not? Flaunt that budget if you got it. <laughs> we got Shiba Mato. <laughs> and Sean Lennon's playing bass on stage, even though he wasn't even in the band at the time period this concert would have taken place. Because yeah, like, the songs they were playing were from a previous album before he was even in the band. And it's weird because like he's singing along in the microphone, but you, his vocals are not there. <laughs> yeah, no, he's just lip syncing. And he's wearing a kilt, which I don't understand. You're John Lennon's son, I guess you do whatever you want. Or probably more accurately, you're Yoko Ono's son, you do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. And the lyrics to this song, 
Wow, that's distracting. Yeah, don't watch this episode <laughs> with subtitles on because you're like just reading them. You're like, what the? What does that say? Yeah, they're really weird. They play two songs in a row. And Willow. Like a freeform jazz. Yeah. So Willow mentions that Buffy's been different lately. Xander's like, she's always been different. And Willow's like, yeah, but never mean. Which. She got your peg, Buff. Drop the tood. And Xander's too distracted by Buffy not being there that he's not even paying attention to Willow or Shibomato's beautiful lyrics. <laughs> and so Willow attempts to... Uh, oh, don't even say it. She tries to recreate their little moment from before. She dips her nose in her froyo, And <sighs> it's sort of an embarrassing attempt to get his attention. But since it's Alison Hannigan, it's not so much embarrassing and pathetic. Like, the way she does it and, like, the look in her eyes, like, how upset she is, it's, like, it's just heartbreaking. It's just sad. It's like... She gives him, like, puppy dog eyes. Ugh. It's It hurts my heart. And then he looks back and he's like, you got something on your nose. I'm like, stop. Stop it right goddamn now. <laughs> Xander, not you too. So she wipes it off. And her face is just, like, heartbroken. And she wipes it off and she misses some, which bugs the hell out of me because it cuts straight to another scene and you never see if she got it off. <laughs> But outside, the vampires are digging up the master's grave under Colin's watch. Of course, he's not doing it because he's useless. And some vampires are digging with their hands because Colin tells them to. And then they're burning up because the ground is consecrated. And he tells them to keep digging because he's a badass mofo. And it's so like, like the vampire's a bad actor. The kid's a kid. So you can't really blame him. But he's like, the ground is consecrated. Dig. And it's just... <laughs> <laughs> it's not good <laughs> man when they put holy water on the ground and they consecrated they really didn't take into account that vampires can use shovels <laughs> yeah <laughs> because those ones are fine <laughs> they haven't learned the use of tools yet and also why do some of the vampires have shovels and others have to use their hands like did first off did they buy these shovels or did they steal them i assuming they stole them in which case why didn't they steal more <laughs> they know how many vampires they've gotten their little posse like, oh, sorry, Paul, we only stole five. You got to dig with your hands, bud. <laughs> <laughs> but they uncover some creepy bones. <laughs> the same bones that we saw. They weren't in a coffin or anything. Right? He's not worthy. That's disrespectful. <laughs> and back at the bronze, Shibamati's still weird and experimental. And Buffy shows up, but she runs into Angel. And he says what? What I've been thinking, I can't help but think I've done something to make you angry. And call her out, Angel. Do it. Beat her up. I don't beat her up. And she's like, I'm not angry. Where are you getting that even from? And it's like, I don't know. Look at yourself, Buffy. Take a look in the damn mirror. Where do you think he's getting it from? Yeah, you've been a, a little since you got back. He says, what are you afraid of? Me? Us? And then she's like, could you contemplate getting over yourself for a second? Because there is no us. And I'm like, stop. Since when is there no you? There very much is a you. Well, they agreed to part ways the last we saw of them, but, but there was always tension there. there. Yeah. And she's like, I, I didn't spend my summer mooning over you. I moved on to the living, which, shut up. It's not true because she was dealing with the master in her head all summer. Let's actually, let's take a break from making fun of Buffy and how moody she is and actually compliment Sarah Michelle Gellar's acting for making us so mad at her. <laughs> because you gotta be good if we loved her all season and hate her so far this season because of 
how she's acting. Like, she's just really good at acting. Like, I could see her, in this instance at least, playing Cordelia, which she had originally auditioned for. Yeah. yeah well, she's meaner than Cordelia ever was. Exactly. She's quite the mean. But so rude. And even Cordelia's giving her the stink eye from the corner. And, you know, if you're if Cordelia's giving you dirty looks like you're being rude, you're being rude. Like, you're worse than the pack from the pack. <laughs> And Willow asks, what's wrong with Angel? And Buffy says, beats me, which is a lie. <laughs> and then she starts flirting with Xander and asks him to dance. It made me squirm a bit. And I wrote here, Sean Lennon is lip syncing right now, but he's clearly not singing because he's a loser. <laughs> <laughs> and the paper umbrella from Buffy's room was missing earlier. I didn't point it out, but it was missing. And I oh, swear well. it's because it's on the stage at the bronze. <laughs> Why do you notice these things? I don't know. Maybe Chibamato brings it to every show, but I think it was just like, they're like, this is sort of a Japanese-inspired band. I don't want to say Japanese because I could be wrong. I think it is, yeah. But either way, they're like a East Asian-influenced band. They're very experimental. And there's a paper umbrella on stage that looks like it's been used before. So that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Angel and Willow are both upset with how affectionate Buffy's getting on the dance floor because she gets right up in his face, all intimate. Oh, shit. It's, oh, it made me so uncomfortable. I was just like, focus on the lyrics. Focus on the weird-ass <laughs> lyrics. I don't want to watch this. And she says, oh, did I ever thank you for saving my life? And he's like, no. And she's like, don't you wish I would? And I'm like, stop it right now. You're being Christy Swanson. Welcome to the video room. <laughs> like She's being Christy Swanson's Buffy. She's being like the makeup with random guy every time I see him, Buffy. Stop it. And then out of the blue, she just pieces. She walks away. I don't get it. Maybe I missed a line. I blinked and missed it. Or did she just leave on her own accord? I don't know if this is going to make it in or if you're going to have to censor this. So I'm, I'm riding the line here, but she totally just... <laughs> Cordelia stops her outside of the bronze and she's like, you're really campaigning for bitch of the year, aren't you? Which, like, Z-snap, or Z-snap for our American listeners. A Z, what's a Z-snap? Like when you snap your fingers in a Z formation. <laughs> and Buffy's like, as reigning champion, you nervous? <laughs> Which, wow. Like, leave it to Cordelia to tell it like it is. Like, as straight up as anybody has so far this episode. But Buffy just has a comeback. Like, Whoa. And she's like, you know, we've never really been close, which is nice, because I don't like you that much. But you have on occasion saved the world and stuff, so I'm going to do you a little flavor. My <laughs> word. My <laughs> word, not hers. Here's some advice. Get over it. Which, yes. Thank you, Cordelia. And whatever's causing the Joan Collins tood, deal with it. Because pretty soon you're not going to have any loser friends left. And I looked up Joan Collins, because I don't recognize the name. And I couldn't find anything about her tood. <laughs> so maybe that's a well-known fact of the 90s. Maybe it was lost in time. It hasn't been chronicled correctly. But Joan Collins may or may not have been moody. Yeah. So Buffy basically tells her to mind her own business. And, like, Buffy, she would, if you would start minding it for once, other people wouldn't have to mind your business, your beeswax. So Cordelia gets one last jab as Buffy walks off. Not a very good one, but it's kind of a straggler. I'll see if Angel feels like dancing. Which, 
Cordelia was taking the high ground this conversation. She was just telling it like it is. And then she just kind of threw a low blow. He yeah. came Cordelia. Yeah. And then, boom, gets kidnapped by vampires. <laughs> <laughs> Which is unnecessary. Un, you know, I don't know why that happened. But I love how Cordelia is now like so often becoming the dam- damsel in distress. Because she's a good screamer. Ever since that, that uh, out of mind, out of sight episode, she's just a good screamer. They're like, let's put willow in danger because people care about willow let's put cordelia in danger because she belongs in a horror movie yeah and she finds miss calendar knocked out cold wherever she is and i feel like it's the bronze because they just left the bronze but i don't know where in the bronze it would be that it's nobody like noticed basement area but uh buffy meanwhile goes to the master's grave to pay a visit to an old pal but it's all dug up so she starts freaking and then she looks over, and he's right behind her, and then vanishes. So we've upgraded to five seconds of screen time. And Willow, at school later, thinks that Buffy is possessed. But Xander, <laughs> are we overlooking the idea that she might be just very attracted to me? And then they stare at him, and then he agrees, yeah, she's possessed. And they hypothesize it has to do with when the master killed her. And Willow, <laughs> one of the most... One of my favorite lines in the entire series, the best jokes. It's so just, so clever. She's like, otherwise, why would Buffy be acting like such a B-I-T-C-H? And Giles is like, I think we're a little old to be spelling things out. And then Xander, fantastic <laughs> line. What's a bitka? <laughs> it's excellent. I love, it's. it happens in a few Joss episodes throughout his series, but just stupid jokes about people mishearing <laughs> yeah like and it's so like natural so normal like things that happen in everyday life and never ever happen on tv people just mishearing something and then basing what they were going to say or do on that outside of joss whedon's works i can't think of anyone that would even throw in a joke about just mishearing a phrase yeah it's fantastic and then giles looks so done with his hand <laughs> but he thinks that buffy has just got what Americans refer to as issues. Which is probably PTSD, as we mentioned. And Buffy's behind Giles, but of course he keeps going. And Xander cuts him off. Yeah, that's a very interesting point about Trout you just brought up just now. Giles has the great save. Yes, Trout is a is a, is a fish. <laughs> so Buffy's annoyed, and she's upset that the grave is dug up. Because she thinks the vamps are bringing back the master. And then she's upset with Giles, because he told her that the master was gone. But and why was why did she expect him to mention? Oh, there are some like revivification, revivif- That's a fun word. Revivification spells. And then Willow tries to interject, and oh, Bobby's like, "Look, Willow, this is Slayer stuff. Could we have a little less from the civilians, please?" And oh, 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 oh. <laughs> I was gonna throw down. I missed the third O. I'm sorry. <laughs> but Xander gets right mad. But then Slayer shows up. Breaks it up, tells him to go back to class or work, respectively. And they'll continue the conversation on Trout some other time. <laughs> but there's a girl behind them, just sitting there. And what about her? <laughs> like, does she, if she has a spare period, does Snyder just know everybody's exact schedule all the time? And why does he assume that they're not in, like, that they, you know, that they're skipping class? Yeah. And that they're not, you know, just, you know, who knows? Maybe it's a break. Maybe they're, they have a period off. Right. They get back to class. It's like, why would you assume that we're and, supposed to be in class right now? And Snyder says, there's some things I can just smell, like a sixth sense. And great joke here, Giles. Actually, that would be one of the five. <laughs> Which is fantastic jokes this episode. I really, it made me laugh a lot. 
But Snyder smells trouble and thinks that Buffy's going to get expelled or jail. And so Giles you know, comes to the rescue, backs her up. He's like, hey, 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 no. And that's, that's not how he says it. And Snyder's like, you really have faith in those kids? And Giles's like, yes, I do. Snyder's like, weird. But it's just, why does Snyder have it out for Buffy? Because of his sixth, fifth sense. Did he read her taped up transcript? Maybe? I assume. I assume he did. Yeah. And, I don't know, it's his fifth sense clairvoyant. <laughs> But in the library, Giles is trying to translate Latin to revivify him. Not He's not trying to revivify. There was a comma there that I didn't leave in. Giles is trying to translate Latin. And to revivify, they need the master's bones and someone close to him is blood. And Buffy thinks it's her. Because they killed each other and that promotes closeness. And suddenly, out of the blue, and it made me jump because it made Xander jump. A rock with a note suddenly breaks through the library glass, which they've replaced thousands of times in the past couple of years yeah like that sucks man like does the school cover that or does jaws have, like what is jaws excuse when he goes to the school board uh the window uh broke again uh birds <laughs> well i mean like what he wouldn't really have to give an excuse <laughs> well he's got what's he gonna tell them the window's broken what happened i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i guess but buffy catches it somehow luckily and it's got cordelia's bracelet wrapped around it and it says, come to the bronze before it opens or we make her a meal. And while Buffy, like, has, like, the, the keen fashion eye that you have, is she recognized it as Cordelia's bracelet? Right, I didn't even recognize it as Cordelia's bracelet. I feel like there's a scene where they made a note of it earlier in the episode that I just got cut for time or something. But Xander's like, they're going to cook her dinner? Pretend I didn't say that. Yeah. And Buffy wants to go alone. Uh... Because she can't look after them while she's slaying. Which, have you learned nothing from season one? Stop it! Stop it, Buffy! <laughs> and Willow's like, well, what about the rest of the note where it says, P.S., this is a trap. <laughs> and but Buffy can handle this. And Willow finally stops saying that. God, what's wrong with you? And then Xander's like, Cordelia may be dead. And so finally her friends are calling her out, which is long overdue. Yeah, I would have been like right on there like hey listen up Bitka, stop it but uh Buffy walks out cold blooded <laughs> <laughs> at the bronze Angel is stalking Buffy as she says but he says he needs someone to watch her back and she's like don't you mean neck why why go there he even says why are you riding me which not like that not like I wish like <laughs> it must be fun to just write an endlessly mean character like Cordelia has humanity and that's not as easy because Cordelia you have to write in bits where you care about her but this version of Buffy doesn't care about anyone's feelings you can write the meanest thing about any character for no reason and not have to explain why it's like a fictional roast <laughs> and Buffy tells Angel that she just doesn't trust him because he's an undead American though spoiler he's not even American so get your facts straight <laughs> and Angel tells her that Buffy's not as strong as she thinks and she's like why you think you can take me come on you must have thought about it you must have wondered why don't we find out and why would you have thought about that and also they fought last season a little bit so you know I'm sure he thought about it when he was doing it <laughs> he's like come on kick my ass and Angel tells her Angel tells her that she's wasting time when he's angry, he becomes anger. <laughs> Spelled like anger, but pronounced anger. And 
he's happy to stay out of her way because she's got that attitude. Also, yeah, she's just it's, wow, Bobby. Now is not the time. Aren't you supposed to be somewhere? So she goes into the brawl and sees a girl crying, but immediately knows it's not Cordy because she's got her vamp cramps. And the girl vamp turns around. It's like Cordelia couldn't make it, and also tells that she's not supposed to tell where Cordelia is. And then Angel is behind Buffy, even though I thought he was going to leave her alone. So I was a bit confused. He did follow her. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, there's the bait. Where's the hook? You know, that vampire actually, I'll point it out later, but she pops up later in this season as a human. Really? I didn't notice. I don't know why. They just, I mean, no budget, I guess. <laughs> we never see this one outside of Amp Face. But, Might as well. Like, why did Angel even follow her? Just let her die. <laughs> Please. But uh, Buffy agrees not about the dying, that they should have sent more than one vampire. And then she kicks the girly vamp's bootay. And... <laughs> Pretend I didn't say that. Giles retranslates back at the Libby and realizes that it means that they need the blood of the person physically closest to the master, not spiritually. Which is kind of dumb. And if you think the people that were down in the library at the time when the master died... Uh, were Giles, Willow, Cordelia, and Jenny. Yeah, and they've already got two of them. So, uh-oh. So, Giles remarks, it is a trap, just not for her. And then suddenly the library is filled with vampires that somehow got in. Somehow. I'm assuming through the window. Because <laughs> maybe they just give up on replacing it after a while. They were stealthy, though. So that is a pretty cool twist. Like, I didn't see that coming. I knew it was a trap. I didn't think it was going to be, like, a reverse trap. Smart little... Colin. Yeah, like I didn't think it was going to be like a get her away from her friends so we can go after them. That's a good trap. That's a plus one. So do do we really think Colin's like running running the game here, pulling the strings? No. Or do we think it's Absalom? I think it's Abs. Uh, Colin, I can't imagine him thinking this up. He was playing with an airplane in the first episode we saw him in. His dad's an abusive pilot. <laughs> that is your headcanon. But anyway, Buffy leaves the vamp with Angel. And she says not to kill the vamp unless Angel has to. Goes back to the library. It's all upturned. And they just put it back together, too. So that sucks. <laughs> like, not just for the characters, but for the props department. <laughs> yeah. And Xander crawls out from under a table. Buffy goes to help him, but he's all super pissed. Super pissed. And bloody. He's like, don't, don't even touch me. He's like, what happened? He's like, vampires, the ones you could handle yourself. Which, ooh, cuts like a knife. And she's like, where are the others? And he's like, I don't know. But he's bleeding everywhere. Gross. He's, oh, he's so mad at her, which is fair. Yeah. And he says, I don't care what your issues are, but as of right now, I officially don't care. Which is good, because she deserves that. She needs to hear that. And he's like, if you would work with us for five seconds, we could have stopped this. And she's floundering. She's like, we need to find where they took them. Yeah, nice try, Buffy. We don't forgive you. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> and Xander's says, the cold-blooded line, if they hurt Willow, I'll kill you. Straight face. Like, he'd do it, too. It's so raw. Like, he would, in a heartbeat, probably try to sort of kill Buffy. And fail. I don't think he'd do it, but he'd try. And Xander says that they didn't take him because he wasn't as close. So they must have a complete set by now. Which, if you keep in count, that's four out of four. 
So they interrogate the lady vamp back at the bronze about where they are. Buffy needs to get some of that frustration out, so she puts her cross necklace into the girl's mouth. Which, which is, is a, gross. A crazy interrogation technique. Because it's also it's gonna make it hard for her to talk. Yeah, you're it's, gonna burn it. And also now you tongue. have like vamp spit on your necklace. That's exactly what Do I was you thinking. Vamps vamp spit on your necklace? Yeah, I was like, man, are you gonna wear that after? Are you gonna even clean it? But she's like, I'm going to ask you one more time. And then we cut to Abs and the other vamps. They're starting the ceremony. Uh, the key four are being hung over the bones. Like a, <laughs> like just like pigs on a so dumb. meat hook, basically. And Buffy and the gang walk in, and they see the four dangling. And as soon as she sees the bones, this makes me so bad. She goes all withdrawn and distant. It's like, no, Buffy, now is not the time. <laughs> You've messed up thing. enough today. <laughs> just, but. I love though how just it, them just hanging there. That'd be so uncomfortable as an actor. Yeah, and I like how they all have like everything conveniently tucked in, so nothing's hanging out. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think the vampires did that out of courtesy? Yeah, I think they're just pretty nice guys. <laughs> I think they didn't want to have to pick up watches and stuff like that. You know, it's just. Hassle. Hard to slit a throat when the shirt is up around the neck area. <laughs> exactly. That's They're actually a really good point. Pants. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. <laughs> but Buffy says she's going to kill them all to distract them. Because <laughs> they're like, we need a distraction. Buffy's like, I'll kill them all. I'm like, yeah, that'll, that'll do it. <laughs> so the vampires are all reciting a ritual. They keep saying, for the dark, which I don't get. But one gets staked mid-sentence in a really... Really bad dusting. And it makes its way into the title credits. But it was bad. Embarrassingly. And that's a vamp death count of two. And then everybody kind of stops and looks at her. They don't know what to do. It's like a beat for a second. And they start to scream. <laughs> and there's a big fight scene. As Angel and Xander go to free the four victims. And Abs is pretty upset. Because they're stealing his sacrifices. And Xander and Angel are letting them down. They're working together pretty well. Considering how they don't get along, but they always end up having to do everything together because they're the two young guys. <laughs> and then no, Angel... Angel's not a young guy. What? Well, the actor is a young guy. <laughs> so Angel vamps out, and he starts fighting. Buffy stakes one of the vamps, who has a name that I don't know, moves on to another, and that's a death count of three. And the sacrifice is now lowered, or waking up, and uh, where's Buffy? Oh, she's working out her issues. Which, fair. That's fair. And Angel kills a vampy, and Buffy knocks out another. So that's a death count of four. And then Abs stops Buffy, threatens to grind her into a paste with a sledgehammer, which, I don't know. I don't know if he really understands how sledgehammers work or how paste works. <laughs> Grinder into... Well, he clearly understands... Some things about the human body, I guess. <laughs> and Buffy's like, are you going to kill me or are you just making small talk? Which is something that a vampire has never said to her, so maybe she should, you know, be more conscious of that kind of thing. <laughs> but she breaks off a torch, stakes one vamp that's running at her while she burns abs. Which, not too bad. Special effects for the fire. Yeah, and that's just like... Two in one. Yeah, it's a convenient... <laughs> convenient way of killing two vamps 
So that's a vamp death count of six. And fun fact, yeah, all these random vampires, their names are like Tara and Ned and stuff like that. But we never learn them. And Absalom's not a normal name, but we still never learn it. And now he's dead. And then Willow's like, it's over. But Xander, the ever-observant, is like, no, it's not. And Buffy picks up the sledge and just starts smashing the master's bones. And the first two hits do a pretty good job. Like, she gets pretty much all of them in the first two hits. But she just keeps going. She powderizes them, yeah. She's just wailing on them like crazy. Uh, then starts just breaking down once she's done. To Christoph Beck's score, which is just touching in this scene. Felt so, like, resolved. Like, you're like, Buffy got it out. I hope. And she leaves, like, a full, like, pelvis and leg. Yeah. There's two things I was thinking in this scene. One, why would she put that vamp spit necklace back on? And two, <laughs> that poor bones prop. Like, I hope they weren't reusing it as the science class skeleton. Because now the science class is sans one skeleton. But, like... Funny, when you said Bones prop, I was thinking of like the show that David Boreanaz went on to be on. You're wrong. <laughs> but as soon as Buffy starts bawling, Angel's there, like the gentleman he is, and he tells her it's okay. And then they hug as the gang kind of watches sadly. Huh. So she got it all out. She let it all out. I don't know if it's that simple to get rid of PTSD in real life. Well, I feel like she was just bottling it up like she just did not even like she wouldn't allow herself to cry because she's the slayer she's strong like stuff like that like do you think that this was a mental thing or this was a mystical thing or do you think it was like a mystical thing as a metaphor for a mental thing i think it was purely a mental thing honestly i think it was just her refusing to let go you know she well she had a lot of you know things she was holding on to she died but she just she had to push on past it and so she just pretended nothing was wrong you know she she retreated into herself rather than to face it you know i think it's a mystical I don't, thing i don't personally feel this was mystical i do because this show makes a point of doing that so i think her smashing the bones is a metaphor for her letting go but the fact that the bones were still there and still existed were what made it, you know... I think smashing the bones is a metaphor for getting past that. And I think if it was any other show, I'd think it's all mental. But since the show is so good with tying like mystical things with metaphors for real-life things, I think it, it could go either way. Yeah, next day, Cordy's all upset, telling Miss Calendar that this will stay with her forever. And of course... She's talking about the stains from rust and blood and grime in her clothes. Miss <laughs> Calendar says, yeah, that's the worst part about being hung upside down by a vampire who wants to slit your throat. The stains. <laughs> Cordelia Which Cordelia agrees. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> next day, Buffy's all embarrassed about how she's been lately, which, yeah, you rightly so. But Giles thinks that she's just needlessly punishing herself. And she's like, it was entirely nope. pointly, pointy. I was a moron. And he makes a point, like, are you going to just crawl in a cave for the rest of your life? <laughs> she fires, but does it have cable? <laughs> and so Giles tells her that this is hardly the worst mistake that she'll ever make, which is not which as is not comforting as, <laughs> as, he, as he'd like it to be. Like, she says points for effort. But <laughs> and I really don't like Buffy's outfit. It's like a sweater tied... It's You know how, like, 
in tennis clubs, they tie their sweaters around the neck. Like in stereotypical like tennis clubs. This isn't tied. It's like it's, it's that style, but the sleeves are just sewn that way. Bugs me. But in class, Willow saved Buffy a seat next to them. Aw. Aw. So maybe things aren't so bad. And there's a rumor going around that Mr. Cox is the most boring teacher in the world. So this this is confusing to me because this is not the first day of school. So they should not be going to Mr. Cox's class for the first time. Yeah. But they're talking about this teacher like they've never met him before. Maybe he was sick the first few days. And they're all acting like normal. Like, Xander asked if they're going to bronze tonight. And he's like, we could grind our enemies' bones into talcum powder, but gosh, we did that last night. (laughs) (laughs) And Bobby's all distant now, but I think it's more of like an embarrassed distance. Like, I'll get over this. I'm just embarrassed how I acted. And not like the weird one from before. Or at least I hope so. (laughs) Xander suggests mini golf, but Willow says that there's no course. And Xander suggests, well, mini tennis. (laughs) Which goes with Buffy's outfit. Wouldn't mini tennis be ping pong? I guess. Never thought about it. I thought it was just a joke. But leave it to the clairvoyant for looking into it. I didn't. Xander and Willow keep talking silently. They, their voice cut out as music builds up. A bit overpowering, if you ask me. But this, the episode's ending, so whatever. In the warehouse later, Colin finds the smashed bones of his master and <laughs> remarks, I hate that girl. <laughs> and then the episode ends. Which he's all alone now. He doesn't have any minions. What happened? He was a minion, then he had minions, and then nothing. Poor guy. Poor guy. But can we talk about how Giles thought... Buffy was completely fine and just had some PTSD and then once again was wrong. And Giles is not good at this. No, he's just like, she's just probably just, she's probably fine. You're wrong. She wasn't fine. And even, even afterwards, he's like, ah, stop beating yourself up about it. You didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> yeah, but I, but I did. <laughs> yeah. Even I recognize this at this point. So it's not a bad season start. It could have been better, but Buffy was pretty hateable. She's a vampire slayer. <laughs> Vamp death count of six. And I really liked how it made Cordy and Jenny part of the gang once again. Like it didn't just yeah. like it wasn't just the end of last season, then they're back to the way things were. They're more they're more regular. Yeah, they're it feels like they're part of the gang. So clairvoyant, steak ratings. What would you give this episode of five stakes? Uh it would have been higher if Buffy wasn't a bitka. Um and we talked about this earlier, how though that was the point of the episode that kind of brought down the episode, which yeah. is poor episode, but that them's the facts. And so I'd give this a three out of five stakes. It's still a strong episode. I just feel it would have been better. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> they couldn't really have made it better, but, you know, a higher rating would have been awarded maybe if Buffy was a little different. Yeah, I gave it a 3 out of 5 also. Uh, it's got some good Joss jokes in it. It's got some good Joss twists. Uh, I don't think, yeah, I don't think any other writer could have done it better because Buffy was really detestable and she's the main character. So it really feels like the series suffers because the character's suffering, which is a, it's a paradox. It does, There's really, like, you, you want to make a three-dimensional character that feels pain, but how far is too far sometimes? Yeah, that's the thing that hurts about this episode is because, like, this is as good as it could get with that concept. Like, and 
<laughs> like, you know, it's, it's just, it can't get any better if you don't like Buffy, like the character. So our rating for this one's three out of five stakes. Weedenverse podcast rating, three out of five stakes. If you like what you hear, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at at Whedoncast. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast, or review, rate, and subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. The Whedonverse Podcast is brought to you by the HHW LOD Network. You can find them at hhwlod.com, on Twitter at hhwlod underscore network, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash hhwlod. The Tangent Bound Network can be found at tangentboundnetwork.com, on Twitter at tangentboundpc, and on Facebook at tangentboundnetwork. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Season 2, Episode 2, Some Assembly Required, written by Ty King, directed by Bruce Seth Green, original air date, September 22nd, 1997, so, the episode two of this segment, uh, we're doing... I don't even remember what it's called. I didn't write it down. Some assembly required. Some assembly required. Off to a good start. And so we start with our every generation thing again, again by Giles, which is just so much cooler. Last episode, it wasn't every generation. It was like a rehash of the Slayer, some different thing, and then like a previously on. So this one's a bit different. Because he says the thing that the narrator from last season would say, but no, it's Anthony Stewart Head. Yeah, it's like ten times cooler than the guy last season. Right. Now, some assembly required, do you think... Okay, what's well, obvious... Never mind, I'm not even going to ask if you think it, because I know you think it. But that's a reference to furniture. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. It's kind of clever, given the idea of the episode, though. But it's like it's something you see on like an Ikea furniture thing. Yeah, that's that's the point. That's where they got. But it is clever, is what I'm saying. (laughs) Yeah, I suppose. So Buffy is waiting in a graveyard for a vampire to rise, a vampire, uh, when Angel appears and just scares the shit out of her. Yeah, she's like, like, you have to stomp or yodel or something. Yeah, it's just, and he's like, he tells her some vampy, some stuff that I never thought about. It tells her that when you first wake up, it's a little disorienting. Yeah, I, I wrote that as well. I, I did not, I never thought of Angel waking up as a vampire. But uh, it's weird to think that he went through it, and he says it's weird to go through. But it is, like, it's weird to think that Angel actually went through this kind of stuff. Yeah, he's, he's, just, he's like them, you know. He bursts out of graves, flying on wires. <laughs> but uh, he's super jealous of Xander this scene. He won't admit it. Yeah, and they're arguing over their uh, their relationship or their lack thereof a relationship, and you know he's <laughs> he refuses to admit it. But he's super jealous of Buffy dancing with Xander, and she says she did it to make him jealous. She admits that, 
But they have a little spat because she always brings up the vampire thing, just like a old married couple. <laughs> yeah, and she says, I didn't come here to fight. And then a vampire takes her out from behind and says, oh, wait, I did. <laughs> but um, she can't find her stake. Yeah, vampire takes out Angel with a shovel. And yeah, so Buffy stakes him with said shovel. Yeah, she snaps it, stakes him. And uh, the shovel dusts too. That's a perfectly good shovel. And that's now gone. Like that's a vamp death one, but shovel death one also. And then Buffy and Angel just continue fighting. <laughs> yeah. And Angel walks away. Yeah, he's like, I'm out. I'm outsies. But it'll take more than that to get rid of me. But yeah, so it doesn't. <laughs> Buffy tries to follow him and just, boom, falls into an open grave. <laughs> Which, that's not normal. Gee, I wish people wouldn't leave open graves lying around like this. He's clearly not a vampire, too. Like, yeah. They agree that they don't think it was a vampire. It looks like body snatchers. Yeah, it looks like someone dragged was dragged from it. Because she finds a shoe, and she decides that the body was stolen. And that's so dark. So many dark things in this show that, you know, I, with the PC world of today, I don't think they would touch. Yeah. So, the next day... Theme after that. After our theme song... Buffy and Xander uh, enter the library. I don't know where Willow is, but they enter the library, and Giles is clearly practicing to ask Jenny out on a date. And I wrote down almost all of the scene because it's beautiful. No, he was just asking the chair out. Yeah, so Buffy says like, "Hey, I didn't know you felt you know felt that way about the chair," and you know they you you you're, you're talking about Jenny, aren't you? why would you think I'm talking about her well because she's the only woman that we've ever seen talk to you she's in an attractive woman in your age bracket and because she already knows you're a librarian so you don't have to tell her <laughs> yeah uh, it, he's just so cute and but I like how when he's talking to the chair he's calls, he messes up he's like no you idiot and Buffy's like you know just, to th- just so you know uh, Gina Roger you can't call girls idiots when you ask her. And that's a reference to Siskel and Ebert. Uh, yeah. And then Xander's like, I don't know, kind of turns me on. <laughs> Buffy's like, I fear you. Which is, like, I just really like the writing in this episode. It's Ty King, who's never written one yet. But I really like it. And great lines like, speak English, or whatever they speak in England. <laughs> and Giles calls her Cyrano, which is a reference to Cyrano de Bergerac. And, yeah, it's just... A lot of references, a lot of good jokes pretty early on. Yeah, I love she's, you know, he's using words like amenable and indecorative. So he's like, speak English. Instead of what they speak in, Giles, England? <laughs> uh, she says, all you have to do is say, hey, I have a thing, you have a thing, maybe we should have a thing. Yeah, they're trying to teach him about the facts of life. The whole stork thing was a smokescreen. <laughs> yeah. And Giles says that it is none of your business. <laughs> and so... I love when uh, Buffy's giving him advice. She says, you have to ask him, just, hey, how do you feel about Mexican? About Mexicans? <laughs> about Mexican food? <laughs> but uh, Buffy tells him about the grave robbing, and she's already somehow, probably because of the headstone, now that I think about it, identified the body as Meredith Todd, but nobody remembers her. And this isn't like a out of, my, out of sight, out of mind thing. Just nobody, she didn't go to their school. <laughs> I love how Giles is like interesting, and she's like, "I'm sure you mean creepy." <laughs> but he uh, says to they have to look it up, get Willow to look it up on the thing, which is a computer. And what a guy! Yeah, 
And we cut to Willow, who uh, is signing up for the science fair uh, and talking to this creepy guy, Chris, who's the reigning champ. Meanwhile, there's this dude, Eric, just, like, taking pictures of Willow and others, just everyone, just snapping pictures, like, ooh, yeah, the camera loves you. Oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> yeah, he's my favorite. <laughs> What's he doing? <laughs> and then Willow is yeah, signing up for the science fair. Uh... Cordelia comes up and is upset that participation is mandatory uh, because they shouldn't have to do anything educational in school if they don't want to. Exactly. Eric is taking pictures of of Cordelia as well. Yeah, and I I really he's got such a weird charisma to him because Cordelia is in this scene. He's got a weird Hawaiian shirt and just he seems like a sleazy character. <laughs> well, he definitely is. But he's got like a sleazy charisma to him. <laughs> What does that mean? <laughs> hey, Chris looks like a monkey. With his <laughs> yeah. unibrow and is just weird overall. And, um, yeah, Chris is the... He explains to Willow that you can become the, the champ of the science fair just by making an experiment that the teacher doesn't understand and he'll give you higher grades. And Cordelia decides that she's going to do... Uh, a, a project on tomatoes, whether it's a fruit or a vegetable. It's a tough one. So then Buffy shows up and says, Bat Signal, and Willow has to peace out. Which is a Batman reference, if you didn't catch it. And Eric's just taking pictures. I love him. <laughs> and then he... That was from my personal collection. <laughs> and then he tells Cordy, or he tells, rather, he tells... Uh, Chris, Cordy would be perfect and like, she's still alive and you instantly get the feeling something's really wrong here. Something's up with these two guys. I love his little uh, chin tuft of a beard. Why are you so enamored with Eric? He reminds... For all our Canadian listeners, there was a show called Big Wolf on Campus that aired on YTV uh, around the time this show aired. A little bit after. He reminds me of the character Merton. Is that why you like him? I think so. I think it's subconscious. <laughs> it's, it's because you're Canadian. That's why. But uh, So Willow finds the girl in question. Uh, she has the coroner's office bookmarked, and she says she's probably the only student that that does so. Probably not. This is Sunny Dale. <laughs> Cordy shows up and asks for help with her project, and Willow says it's a fruit. <laughs> <laughs> and then she says, I would ask... I would ask Chris, but too many memories of Daryl, and you have no idea what the hell she's talking about because she just wants attention. Yeah, and who's Daryl? Like they've never mentioned Daryl ever. But uh, they find that something about Meredith, like she died in a car accident last week, but Cordy's still going on about Daryl. Yeah. Can we deal with um, my pain, please? And uh, we find out that she didn't go to Sunnydale, so there's like an interscholastic body count going on here. Yeah, should we count that? Three girls? Body count three. Human, let's do it. All right. But uh, it's funny because Cordy's like, can we do my pain, please? And Giles just kind of walks back. He's like, there, there. <laughs> and she actually says thanks if you watch her mouth, but the audio was cut for some reason. Maybe because it wasn't in the script or maybe because it's not very Cordelia. But her mouth says thanks, but it doesn't actually say anything. And one thing I noticed when we see the pictures of these kids from Fendrin High, their jackets have J's on them, which does not stand for Fendrin. I wonder what it stands for. <laughs> so Giles thinks it's voodoo, <laughs> and they're making zombies, because he's always wrong. 
Spoiler. <laughs> so they decide they're going to dig up some graves. Oh, boy, a field trip. <laughs> B- BYO shovel. Yeah. So they're going to head to the cemetery. Uh, Cordy's out. And Xander's makes a joke about zombies eating the flesh of the living. Which they immediately point out, zombies don't eat the flesh of the living. Only the dead. <laughs> and Xander's, I, I, know, I know that. But did you see her face? <laughs> so Buffy says, hey, don't tell Angel because we're having issues. <laughs> and they're chatting about Angel. While Giles <laughs> and Xander are digging, Buffy and Willow are just talking about how jealous he got. And I love they're just, yeah, Giles and Xander doing all the work. Hey, it might go faster if you picked up a shovel and Giles is here, here. <laughs> but Buffy says, I'm an old-fashioned gal. Men dig up the corpses and women have the babies. Which, <laughs> I like, and I like how she says dig up the corpses, not bury the corpses. Yeah, well, that's what they're doing. They're digging up the corpses. But that's not the same. But she, um... Well, the thing isn't bury the corpses either. <laughs> it is. But uh, Willow says iconic line very memorable that i still use to this day i still you know i think about love makes you do the wacky because it's true love makes you do the wacky and it's a very joss line even though he didn't write it it was ty king and it's true and so they start talking about daryl chris's bro a studly yeah he's a studly he was a football player uh he died rock climbing broke cordy's heart by dying yeah human death count of four i guess even though these are all pre-episode, we'll count them. They're... Yeah, we've counted vampires that died off-screen that we knew died, so. And so, uh, you know, Willow said, wait, I'm confused. Do we want to find a body or no fo- body? Jeff, Xander says, call me optimistic, but I'm looking to find a fortune in gold doubloons. <laughs> and Giles says, well, you know, a body points to a flesh-eating demon. No zombie. Nobody points to an army of zombies. So uh, take your pick. <laughs> yeah, but uh, neither nobody wants to open the grave. So Buffy does it because woman power. Yeah, it's just go on. You're closer. <laughs> uh, we don't see what they find at this point in time. No, we cut to Cordy walking to her car after cheerleading practice, saying that they they need to do better because no one's going to be led by their cheers. <laughs> And she can't get into her car, but she swears she's being chased. She thinks it's Xander. I love that she blames Xander, of all yeah. people. <laughs> Xander Harris if that's you. But she uh, drops her keys under the car, and she sees some feet under there, so she gives up, she books it. It's super horror movie. Yeah. She uh, hides in a dumpster. <laughs> and this this thinks, dude's menacing. She thinks it's uh, safe, and... She gets out, and bam, there's Angel in a light-colored, like, tan Like jacket. a silver suit. He's never worn, like, light colors before, and it really bugs me. Yeah. She it was... doesn't fit his character. And he was looking for Buffy, which, yeah. she's a rascal, for yeah. lying. I love that. Yeah, it's like, I'm looking for Buffy. I was like, oh, they're out patrolling. I thought she was at home. She lied. Isn't she a rascal? <laughs> So as she's getting out of the dumpster, Cordelia finds a disembodied hand. Yeah, it like grasped onto her skirt or something. And they discuss. And she screams because that's what she does. Yeah. So in the library, they discuss the girls are missing. Cordy and Angel are all cuddly and flirty. They talk about uh, how it's not really an army of zombies at this point. It's more of a drill team. 
And they find Cordy clinging to Angel. <laughs> what? And she exclaims, why do bad things always happen to me? And Xander is the great life charmer. <laughs> <laughs> and Willow saying that is it really like an army if there's only three is actually a reference to Plan 9 from Outer Space. Oh, God. Really? Yeah. But Angel thinks that these people might have kept some parts, which is gross. Really then, gross. Yeah, could this get any worse? And I think Willow says they could have kept the other parts to eat. <laughs> Yeah, I guess we could. But uh, Buffy hypothesizes that whoever did it was a student because they used the school dumpster, and it was clean cut, so they must have been a science nerd, whereas Sander jokes as a willow and nobody laughs. (laughs) Yeah, they just promise to never do it again. (laughs) So Angel takes a fragile Cordy home. Catfight. What? Buffy and Cordy, catfight over Angel. You're talking about your cats. <laughs> Catfight. <laughs> so uh, then we cut to a woman just watching ragged. a really ratty, raggedy woman just watching tapes of football, smoking. Chains. Um, yeah, and we get the idea from Buffy and Willow's early conversation that this is probably Chris and Daryl's mom. Who can somehow afford to chain smoke and electricity. <laughs> Because she's watching uh, old football tapes and people are chanting, Daryl, Daryl. And Chris gets home. His mom don't care. Yeah, he, well, no, he goes out. He comes from the back and says, I'm going out, Mom. And she just keeps watching the tape. And the weird thing is the idea that they had to film that. Yeah. Like, there was just, like, they dressed people up in the Sunnydale colors and did a football game. Well, that's what I was wondering. Do you think they actually filmed... Because there's another football game sequence later. Do you think they actually filmed full football games for this episode? Or do they think they found stock footage that happened to use the Sunnydale colors? Uh, it could be that, because the chanting doesn't appear to be coming from the tape itself. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Chris is leaving. Going out. At school, they're breaking into lockers. <laughs> yeah, well, they decide to abandon Giles's theory of Zimbabwe's of zombies <laughs> and they decide to <laughs> I feel like it's an inside joke I don't know where it came from but uh Giles can't condone it but then when they ask him if he wants to join of course <laughs> <laughs> so they're looking in students lockers and they eventually find medical books in uh, Chris's <laughs> locker Medical books and an article about Meredith. So that's that's super incriminating. <laughs> yeah. They find then, Grey's Anatomy in his locker. The book Grey's Anatomy. Not the show. And so they're like, wow, this is incriminating. And then in Chris's or in Eric's locker, they find like like a pasted together like Frankenstein female body picture. And like, wow, this uh, adds up pretty quickly. <laughs> We cut to Eric singing My Girl. My Girl. As my baby. <laughs> As Chris cuts up the corpses. <laughs> says, it's not your baby. And he's like pinning up these ominous pics in his dark room of Buffy, Willow, and Cordelia. And yeah, they're they're finishing their creation. Uh, talking about they don't have a head for it yet. And this is not a big twist that it was them. Because it was hinted from the first time we saw them. Yeah. And so, yeah, then now we know, for sure. <laughs> and so then the, 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 the gang is talking about why would anyone make a girl when so many pre-made ones are lying around. 
Yeah. And Willow says, well, if they are making a girl, then my science project is definitely coming in second. And they're not surprised that Eric would do it because he's a creep, but they are surprised about Monkey Man and Chris. And I love, uh, you know, Giles sees Miss Calendar and says, Anderson, says, speaking of love, and Willow says, we were talking about the reanimation of dead tissue. He says, do I deconstruct your segues? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Buffy suggests that while asking Miss Calendar, Giles should ask her to bless his laptop. And he's like, the greatest line, he goes, Miss Calendar, and she's like, please call me Jenny, Miss Calendar's my father. Yeah, I, I love that line. Um, and he just he attempts to ask her out, and it's so awkward. And then the bell rings. He missed his and chance. And she just, she just leaves. And uh, 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 that's my Giles impression. <laughs> and then she comes back and says, hey, if you want to tell me it's important, just tell me the game. You know, you're going to that, aren't you? And and she says, like, yeah, well, I'll pick you up. It'll be a thing. We'll get Mexican. And just everything worked out so well. <laughs> yeah. But if you want to tell me, just tell me on the date. Basically, like, that went well. It was so smooth on her behalf. Like, he's good like, for her. He's like, that went well, I think. <laughs> I'd say if I had to sum up Miss Calendar in a word, it'd be confident. That's her. Yeah. I, I like her. I don't know. Something about her. I didn't last time we saw her. Or last episode was fine. But. He's stringing up over. Bones. First season. I didn't like her first season. It was but, one episode, though. One episode where she was a bit co. But she's. I think that's going to be our word from now on. But she's. <laughs> she's getting better. She's growing on me like a weed. Not a fungus, that's Xander. And like a weed because of Burning Man Festival. <laughs> <laughs> so they surmise that Eric and Chris do not have a head for the project. Uh, meanwhile, Chris and Eric are arguing that they're running out of time. No, we'll turn up the voltage, which sounds absolutely not scientifically accurate. <laughs> yeah, no, it does <laughs> We'll just turn up the voltage and it'll buy us a day. Probably not. <laughs> And so then the weirdest thing happens. Well, they can't wait for another accident. They can't, you know, they they waited for these girls to die. It was an accident that had happened. They can't wait for another one. They're not going to get that lucky. So, yeah, they got to kill somebody. And then uh, Frankenstein's monster <laughs> comes out of the shadows. Uh, he's saying, you promised me I wouldn't be alone. Little brother. And it's Pete. Okay. Why is his face stitched up? It's Daryl. But yeah, he's just one guy. He's like, did his fall from rock climbing really shatter him into a million pieces? (laughs) His face is stitched up. His hands too. Everything. He's stitched together like he was cut up into pieces. Maybe he was, here's my theory. He was cremated. (laughs) (laughs) Poorly. And they had to do what they could. And so this guy is not an actor. He's a writer, but he's bad. <laughs> I, I'm so surprised that he's not an actor because he was so good in this episode. He, he pulls off the dumb football playing jock perfectly. You no, know, the thing is he feels like he's a dumb football playing jock trying to act. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and uh, so. <laughs> this dude looks like Drax. Like he's just super built unnecessarily for high school. The stupidest thing is when he tries to have, like, an intimate moment with Chris. 
It says, like, the, the where do you throw thing. Yeah, he's just making football analogies. <laughs> where do you throw the ball, Chris? And, like, the sad score is starting like, up. He does, like, a, it's like a rhyme. Like, where do you throw? Where do you throw? <laughs> I wrote, man, this scene is weird and Daryl's an awful actor. <laughs> it's not... It's not sad. It's supposed to be, but not even. You don't give the smallest bit of a shit about these characters. And Daryl's like, or Chris is like, you throw to number five. Daryl's open. Just <laughs> 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 the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And the music, like, kudos to Christoph Beck for the scoring the season. <laughs> But, but learn you your time. You should have sat out an episode. Your music is too good for this. So, Daryl decides to pick Cordy's head. Which... And the thing is, he points at it and says, this one. You know Cordelia because you dated Cordelia. No, they didn't date. They were just, she was pining after him. And we don't, they never say that they dated. But he, he knows her, though. So why would he say this one? Like, it's like he's picking from, like, a random list of people. So, Eric starts singing My Girl, and he cuts off Cordelia's head. I mean, the picture. In the picture. This this isn't, like, death count, like, five. (laughs) This is just a picture. So, uh, the gang decides to uh, split up. They're going to check out Chris's house, Eric's house, and Giles will be at the football game, where they will all meet up later. Giles and, tries to protest. Like, no, Giles, is going to date. We don't care at all. <laughs> and Willow says, you know, don't be so hard on Chris because he's fragile. But her outfit's so terrible and I don't remember it. I just wrote that it's awful. So they, uh, Buffy goes to, to Chris's house. And his mom is just... Lovely encounter. They have stained glass windows. <laughs> and his mom's just absolutely obsessed with Daryl and football. She's watching and she's like <laughs> saying what's happening. But she she mentions that her son was number seventeen when Chris had just said number five. Daryl's open. <laughs> so which one is he? Uh, I have no idea. Which is it, Ty? Ty King. And the thing is, the tape she's watching. I don't know enough about football, but maybe someone who does that listens to our show can correct me. Is is the thing she's describing actually what it's showing on the screen? Well, here's the mistake you've just made, Clairvoyant. Nobody that listens to our show enjoys football. <laughs> I don't think that's true. I think that's probably pretty close to true. Buffy finds a lab in Chris's house behind the door marked secret lab. <laughs> and... mom's kind of crazy. Like... Is Chris home? I don't know. Is today a school day? Like how? Like maybe all the lights are off because this slacker can't afford to pay the lights. Maybe her TV's running on a backup generator, and the cigarettes are like old ones that she found. Like she doesn't have a job. She's got to afford this somehow. Looking at people like uh, like Amy from Witch, and then like Chris from this, like wow, a lot of Sunnydale kids just have messed up home lives. I'm sure lots of kids everywhere have messed up all my But this is like, this is super messed up. Well, see, they all turn into villains. Witches and Frankenstein's monsters don't factor into most people's everyday life. I don't, I don't think you know everybody. I think you can't make that call. <laughs> so Buffy finds the secret lab and discovers... Uh, A lot of car posters. Yeah. For some reason. And their uh, their body. 
and also who uh, who's the, who the head is going to be. In the Daryl's in the background, just like lurking, lurking <laughs> there. When Eric cut off Cordy's head, it was a straight across cut. But this one, the hair is cut around the hair. Like it cuts down around the hair and then over the throat and then down around the hair again. So that's not how he cut it. I saw it. Did he take multiple pictures and just cut them all out? <laughs> he probably took multiple pictures, yeah. But uh, yeah, Daryl's looming. And then Buffy runs off. Through the window. She hears something and scampers out the window. And he just glares because fuck Daryl. So in the locker room, Cordelia is getting ready. Um, when Chris comes up behind her, just in the locker room, like marrying it. Right? That's what I wrote. I said, Chris is in the locker room. And she's not too creeped out by it, considering. She's like, hey, what are you doing? Yeah. So he and he doesn't he doesn't say anything. So Eric just puts a bag over her head. And one thing I thought was kind of funny, while she's on the ground like struggling, her skirt accidentally rides up, and even while like screaming and flailing, she has like the common sense to like pull it back down, like before you see anything. Like it was like she's <laughs> like ah, ah, wait a minute, adjusting my skirt. Ah. <laughs> so uh, Eric gets immediately just taken out by Buffy with a nice kick. And they get away. And uh, so Cordelia leaves. She needs to, she's going to miss the pyramid. That's the important thing right now. So Buffy she's the, ape, she's the apex. <laughs> she's the apex of the pyramid. That's right. So Buffy is... Or, uh, yeah, she's trying to talk to Chris. And uh, he, he does come out and starts telling Buffy about Daryl. Yeah, he's talking all cryptic about his bro, but Buffy thinks he means Eric. Until he says everybody loved him, and then she realized, no, it couldn't be. <laughs> so, so yeah. she real- <laughs> Nobody loves Eric. So she's so shocked, but I'm like, I wasn't. Like, she's like, oh, no. And I was like... Well, I mean, to be fair, reanimation isn't a common thing, even in this universe. <laughs> well, I don't know. She came back. Yeah, but that's different. That's an actual thing that can happen. You're saying that Daryl... Epps is not an actual thing that could happen. Correct. So then we have an Eric and Daryl scene where, you know, he promised me. And Eric says, let's go scare you up a date. I hate Eric. I love Eric. Eric is like, I mean, he's not quite there, but he's so far. He's he's like, if Fritz is the MVP of season one. Eric is so far taking his spot in season. Well, right, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, why couldn't Fritz be this charismatic? Fritz was awful to watch. He was a, he was just so painful every scene he was in, and Eric just makes every scene a joy. It could be a no, boring. You don't no. even don't even talk. <laughs> this scene, like if it was just Daryl talking to Chris, wouldn't be as fun. <laughs> I don't like Eric. By the way, when we're talking about Daryl, everybody, I just want you to know we're talking about Norman Reedus from The Walking Dead. That's what this character looks like. No. That's the Daryl we mean. He's got a crossbow. False. So Buffy and Chris head back to uh, Chris's house. Only to find Daryl gone. But he'd never leave. (laughs) You're wrong. And so they go back to where they just were. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) They're running in circles. Let's go back to the school. When they go to the basement, the laundry room is such a mess. Like, there's a garbage can wedged oh, yeah. diagonally in between the dryer and the little ceiling part. Like, why? What were you doing there? 
Like what? What happened? Was that Daryl? He was throwing a tantrum, takes a garbage can, wedges it in diagonally. He promised me. Yeah. <laughs> but and so then uh, we cut to the game. The game where the cheerleaders are absolutely not cheering for the Razorback. I rewound this so many times. Well, not rewound because it's Netflix, but <laughs> I rewatched this so many times trying to hear what they say. I'm pretty sure they say greenbacks. They do. And my, sus- my suspicions were confirmed when I googled greenbacks Buffy, and this episode comes up. Is it go so, greenbacks go? The- greenbacks is a it's a word for dollar. It's slang for money. This is what like, and they're all cheering this. Not Razorbacks. Who directed this, who, who directed this episode? Bruce Seth a, Green. Bruce, Brucey, this is a big mistake on your behalf. <laughs> It's funny because the subtitles on the DVD and on Netflix say Razorbacks. Though it's clear that they say Greenbacks. But, uh, yeah, go Greenbacks, go. I, I wonder if that was stock footage that they just thought nobody would notice. Because it sounds garbled when they say Greenbacks. So maybe girl, it was like... Girl, girl. Yeah, maybe it was like stock footage that they just... I don't think so. Obscured. It looks like they're actually cheering. <laughs> also, this cheerleader also, I just wanted to point out, the cheerleader that like talks to Cordy about the game and stuff is the head cheerleader from which that does the holds the auditions like the same actress. Why would they get them back? Right. This is a season later. Like it was the same, like she's leading the cheers. She's in the locker room. She was the one that when they were ending cheerleading practice, like it's the same girl. That's insane. So Giles and Jenny are on their date and then Willow and Xander just completely crash it. But <laughs> Jenny is just so cool. Like with just like, Hey, what's up? Like, just totally just part of the gang, which is, I mean, how can you not like Jenny in this episode? I agree. And I was a big Jenny, anti-Jenny. But one episode. one That was one episode. She's already been in four. And three out of four, she's been awesome. Mm. Don't mm me. <laughs> so, Giles has to hold everything on this date, by the way. Two popcorns, two drinks, and a Gryffindor Quidditch flag. Uh... Jenny's just talking about how raw football is. But Giles laughs about it, says this is American football. Like yeah. 40 pounds of protective gear to play rugby. And Jenny calls him out, hey, you always insult national pastimes on a first date? He said, did you say date? And she's like, oh, you caught that, huh? And Will and Xander show up. Steal all their food and drink. And Xander says that uh, Eric had a pornography collection so prodigious that it scared him. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Giles pretty much tries to shoo him. He's like, oh, "Why don't you check over there? You know, I and think there might be over there." So they uh, they sit right in front of them, and Giles hands Xander popcorn like he just knew they were gonna do that anyway. Yeah, chances are he's gonna take it. And then we cut to <laughs> Daryl watching Cordelia under the bleachers, <laughs> and it's he's just watching the game, and it starts going all slow mo and echoey, and it's. Christoph Beck's heartbreaking score starts up. The the violins are swelling, and you can't help but absolutely not care even a little bit what's going on in this Frankenstein monster's mind. Like, Christoph, you outdid yourself, but why? Like, <laughs> don't waste your talents on this. In this entire show, this one scene I remember standing out is utterly ridiculous. My yeah, eyes. It's if I so, think about the show and I think about like weird moments that just stand out, this is one of them because it's so stupid. Like the thought that goes in my mind every time he just wants to play football. <laughs> he 
You know, the poor monster just wishes he could play football. He wants to be a real boy. Like it's 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 one of the dumbest things, and it sticks out for me too. I think of like, you know, season one is known for a lot of like, uh, you know, campy monster of the week things, and then as the show goes on, that becomes less the focus. But you know, I always think of season one as that, and I'm like, oh well, season two has it too. The monster just wanted to play football. This comes to mind, like this came under the bleachers, gazing longingly at the field. Yeah. <laughs> But he spies Cordy, and it suddenly turns ominous. And she's coming this way, so he's got to, like, freshen up or something. Like, brush his teeth or spritz deodorant or whatever. So she gets uh, water or Gatorade, I don't I'm assuming Gatorade. That's what I wrote, because it's a football game. That's just how I understand these things work. And Daryl kidnaps her and he must in a have, public place. He must have football premonition. Maybe that's why he's such a good player, because the second he grabs her, the crowd goes wild because of a play. So maybe he just – that's why he was so good because he was like a football psychic and he knew when – like what was going to happen and when. And that's why he grabbed her at the right time. So he and Eric, uh, they go to some old abandoned science lab thing and Eric is going to saw off Cordelia's head. <laughs> Cordelia uh, sees, uh, sees Daryl and scream. isn't as in love with him as she once was. She keeps saying, take it off, I won't scream, I won't scream, and then he takes it off and she screams. Yeah. And, and then, like they didn't learn because Willow is supposed to be the damsel in distress. They're messing it up. Yeah, no one cares if Cordelia's in danger. But uh, Eric says the weird line, it won't hurt, you'll feel a little pinch, but when you wake up, you'll have the body of a 17-year-old. Actually, you'll have the body of several, and they lift the sheets and she screams again. But what kind of sentence is that? You, she is a seventeen-year-old girl. Yeah, I and know. so saying like, if if this was any other situation, saying you'll just feel a little like if it was a doctor reassuring you, you'll feel a little pinch and then you'll wake up in the body of a seventeen-year-old. <laughs> what is that supposed to mean? And yeah, Chris has this, or Daryl has this insincere apology to Cordelia that he never noticed her, which is insincere purely because he's a bad actor. And what is Eric wearing here? Like a mechanic jacket? It's like a blue and red like mechanics jacket, but it looks ridiculous. Yeah, Eric's got just a weird charisma to him. This creepy charisma. And Cordelia's just such a good act good screamer, I guess. Enough about Eric. He's not he's not enjoyable. He's my fave. And so Buffy and Chris uh arrive too late. But Chris says where to find Eric. Say, Chris, why are you leading Buffy on this if you knew from the start, where to go? Yeah, like why? Like what an ape man! Like just <laughs> like you knew. Oh, they're gonna be in the old abandoned science lab. He's like, hey, let's go to the school, then home, then to school. Oh, they're probably at the lab. <laughs> and the thing is, I thought the lab was in their basement. It was so misleading because you think the lab's in the basement, and it kind of is, but then there's also maybe another one. Maybe it's just confusing. <laughs> And so then Eric... Uh, Maybe his is, basement is the old science lab. Eric is uh, cleaning off the instruments. No, he's sanitizing <laughs> he's, them. He's sanitizing them. He's the, the great line, sterile enough for government work. Yeah. And Cordelia promises that if they don't chop off her head, she'll, she'll be their Christine Daae. But they're not buying it. They're like, no, you were doing this. And so... Uh, did she actually say Christine Daae? No, oh, that's my line. 
like, I don't remember any Phantom of the Opera references in here. No, because that's what Christine does. She stays behind, even though he's creepy and weird, just to, so he doesn't kill her. I don't think you finished that book. What? No, I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> so, Buffy kicks open the door because she's got good timing this season, as we've established. <laughs> right as they're about to cut off her head. Eric tosses a scalpel... And it was absolutely nowhere near hitting Buffy, but she still attempts to dodge it. No, she catches it. Movie style. Oh, that's right. Yeah. She catches it like it's out of the movie. But it's like, like it wasn't about to hit her. No, it wasn't. It was way to the left. And so then they fight. And... There's a really jarring cut here, too. Like, Daryl says, my brother wouldn't do that. My brother loves me. And in between those two sentences... It's a really noticeable cut because the music cuts too, for whatever reason. Like, they'd finished the episode, they put the music over top, and then they decided to make it, like, a bit shorter. So, like, the music, like, skips a beat and jumps. And it's like, that was really weird. So they fight, and they knock over a burner pretty immediately. Yeah, the Bunsen burner that, uh, that Eric had left on to sterilize his tools with. And before that, they accidentally knocked over some gasoline. So... Good job. Now, in this scene, there's this some... the scientific geniuses. <laughs> why would, first of all, why was there even gasoline there? What were they using it for? And second off, there, like, there's some really extremely clear views of Buffy's stunt woman's face <laughs> this scene. Like, the shoddy directing, the cameraman filmed the exact wrong spots. This, this scene in particular has just so many issues with the editing, with the pacing, and with the, the filming. It was just bad. Badly done. So Xander arrives, uh, well, the whole gang arrives, Xander's getting Cordy out, and Giles and Willow are, they, they save the life of Eric, who's unconscious for some reason. Because Xander shows up first, and I was like, well, they Xander, Willow, Giles, and Jenny were in the same spot at the same time, and Chris <laughs> went to get them at the same time. Xander shows up, then Willow and Giles show up late, because they're slackers. And Jenny then, doesn't show up at all, does she? And then after Xander heroes Cordy away... Jenny shows up super late to help him get her off the gurney. And why are Giles and Willow saving Eric? <laughs> I don't know. But Daryl's going to kill Buffy. But Chris stops him with actually some decent acting, screaming Daryl's name. But Daryl, on the other hand, <laughs> he, uh... decides that he would rather die alongside his bride while everyone else escapes. And this is a dumb. He's like, she's mine. And uh, this episode is clearly Buffy's take on Frankenstein. Right. Uh, You know, even in Frankenstein, the monster comes back to his creator and says, you have to make me a wife. And then the wife, spoilers, uh, you know, gets destroyed before it's ever finished. So this is Buffy's take on Frankenstein. It's a nice homage to that. But this is so dumb. I don't think Frankenstein, like I said earlier about caveman stories, I don't think Frankenstein stories ever really work either. Um, they, it worked the first time, but ever since then it's been kind of cheesy, kind of overdone. One of the comics that I will be reviewing on Clairvoyance Comics later, uh, I, I just know the title, I haven't read it yet, uh, Buffy vs. Frankenstein, and I think there's two of them. Wow, but yeah, Daryl's going to kill Buffy, Chris stops him, he decides to crawl into the fire with his poor wife thing and burn to death. Which, that's another death count of, I'd say, one, maybe two. What do you think? Uh, she was never alive, so she can't die. Okay, then so we got a human death count of four and another death count of one. 
And so Angel shows up. He did not change his clothes. <laughs> yeah, this is later. After the fire people are putting out the fire, Angel shows up somehow randomly in his white suit. It's a different day because it was night before and then there was a football game. Because cheerleading practice day, he's wearing this light, this weird light-colored clothes. Then this is the day of the game. He's wearing the same clothes. Those are his pajamas. But uh, he said, I saw the fire. I knew you guys would be here. For one, where did you see the fire from? Yeah, right. For two, why did you know there would be <laughs> – anytime there's a lot of destruction, Buffy's causing it. <laughs> That's a pretty fair assumption. But uh, And Chris says a sad line that makes you still not care about Daryl. You know, when I brought Daryl back, he told me I shouldn't have. But then he says he would have done the same for me. Which, are we talking about the same Daryl? I don't think he'd know how. <laughs> for one, he wouldn't know how. For two, it wasn't until after he died that he started giving a shit about anybody. Yeah. But uh, Where do you throw Mr. Universe? <laughs> oh. Number five's open. Daryl. <laughs> Giles apologizes to Jenny after all this. Uh, says rule, she says rule of thumb don't do anything so exciting on the first date it'll be hard to top on the second date and he says second date mirrors what they said before so you caught that huh which I guess I mini shipped them I shipped them a bit you mini shipped them I they, shipped them they got I, some chemistry I they got yeah I I'm team Jenny <laughs> you see there's no good ship name for Giles and Jenny <laughs> But uh, Giles says that this is actually a slow night by Hellmouth standards. And Xander laments that everybody gets a date but him and Willow. And the world's a game of musical chairs and the music stops but they don't get chairs. Yeah. And while they're talking about this, uh, Cordelia comes up and is super sincere. Extremely. She tries to, you know, thank him. And she's just being nicer than she's ever been. Says, you know, you, you're brave and heroic and... I just can't be can't thank you enough if there's anything I can ever do. And he's like, do you mind we're talking here? And then they go on talking about, why do you think that is? <laughs> and he just blew it. And her charisma's face was just priceless. Like, well, excuse you. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, where were we? Wondering why we never get dates? Yeah, why do you think? <laughs> so the so dramatic ba- irony there is just beautiful. I agree. And Bangel, uh <laughs> are walking through the graveyard. Walking, talking. Buffy repeats, love makes you do the wacky, which Angel's like, what? <laughs> yeah, he's a little old. So Angel admits he was jealous uh, earlier. He reveals he's 241. Yeah. Which, when do you stop counting birthdays? I think if I was that old, I'd get, I'd be like, F- it. Like, I don't want to count this anymore. And Buffy uh, it reassures him that he doesn't love, she doesn't love Xander you know, that way. And I really... What a man, I, though. Admitting I his feel... fault, admitting he's jealous. Yeah, and I I totally feel Angel in this scene. Like, like he says, like he has this great line where he says, "I'm not jealous, you know, that you love him. I'm jealous that he gets to always be there. You know, we, the, Angel's only there at night. He can't always be with Buffy. He's only there at time. And like, eh, let's let's relate a bit. I am in a long distance relationship, and so I totally get where he's coming from. You know." Like, you know, I'm not jealous of your friends, but they get to be with you all the time. And that's not what I can't be there for you. And that's a great thing about Buffy and Angel's relationship is everyone can find something to relate to. It's 
you know, it's a uh, it's a cheap writing trick. Like it, right? In making you insert yourself in the situation, it's a low blow. But everybody can relate to Buffy and Angel, and I think in it's some a way, smart writing trick. Yeah, in some way, everyone can relate. Whether people, you know, and I think that's why some people love Buffy and Angel because they can relate, and I think some people hate Buffy and Angel because they can relate. And but they're such a, a real relationship even though it's you know a vampire and a superhero yeah and he says the great line he gets to see you in the sunlight and then the music builds up and gives me the shiveries and the ship has returned to port and uh the this arrangement that's playing right now it's not fully formed yet but it's actually uh it's an arrangement of the song close your eyes and which a, is yeah it's a motif that becomes quite common throughout the series it's buffy and angels kind of romantic theme yeah, it's uh, it's known throughout the series and even the spin-off series as Buffy's and Angel's love theme. Uh, it's called Close Your Eyes. It's a beautiful score. This isn't the full uh, this isn't the full thing. It's just sort of a, a a shadow of it, but it's getting there and I'm excited for the the first actual appearance of it. Yeah, and Buffy, then we close on uh, Buffy walks Angel home and there's so much sexual tension. And then we close on uh, Daryl's gravestone, yeah, uh, reminding us that we don't really care about this episode. <laughs> so that's not so bad as I remember. Um, now, our head researcher, Jackie Dominique, on Twitter, one time, out of the blue, told us, just tweeted to us, said, hey, when you guys get to the episode, some assembly required, that episode really sticks out in my mind. And I guess it sticks out in mine too, but for bad reasons. You know, I think it is a memorable episode. That's not necessarily a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I, I remember the stupid parts of the episode. But it, but it did have so many redeeming parts that I forgot. Yeah, I mean, it feels like season one was a bunch of half-baked attempts at reimagining horror cliches. And this one, though the directing could have been better... This one was a more fully realized attempt at that. But the problem with it also is that I think part of season one trying to do that was where it failed, and season two doing it again is just calling back trying to be season one instead of realizing itself as the show that it can and will be. Yeah, I think that's one thing that it pops up occasionally. Uh, You know, it gets rarer and rarer as the show goes on. Just episodes like this that... It, it, they feel almost out of place when the show starts becoming more over, overarching plots and less Monster of the Week. You know, then episodes like this just really start sticking out like a sore thumb. And so this is like, it's almost like the right now we're tapering off of the season one format of the show. Yeah, this is like the end, one of the last bits of it. But uh, whatever happened to Eric and Chris? Is like everything chill now? They're just hanging out? They go to school like normal. Eric's got a bit of a concussion. Chris's mom doesn't love him. <laughs> like, what happened with him? We never find out. But no, but you know, I don't care. <laughs> well, I want to. You know, I want an Eric spinoff. To be honest, Eric. This is a <laughs> no. That's no. I'm good. So <laughs> I think we're at that part of the episode uh, where we talk about the the ratings that we would give so based on everything you have seen and heard today uh mr universe what would you give this episode out of five stakes 
I gotta say it too. I mean, based on everything I re- like, I recall it being one of the lowest points of the season. But if it's only a two and it's one of the lower points, that's not too bad. I mean, it was an okay episode. I remembered it being much worse than it was. I didn't particularly enjoy it. I don't think I'm gonna remember the good parts very much. But it it you know, I think it's almost the end of the season one era, or like one of the final stakes in that vampire. Not a coffin. You see what I did there? I nail, took the pun. Nail took, in the coffin. I took the pun. That was inevitable. Made it work. But so I'd say it's a two out of five stakes for me. I would say before watching it, I would have given it a two out of five based on, you know, memory because I've seen this show like five times. But, uh, you know, after after rewatching it, it did it a lot better than than I expected it would. You know, your other Buffy's trying to do the Frankenstein story. And you're like, oh, God. <laughs> Especially after just coming off season one. Uh, so I, I'd say it's better than I thought. It's definitely not a great episode by any stretch. And yeah, like you said, I'm not going to remember the good parts. They're not memorable aside from maybe the line, love makes you do the wacky. So I would give it a 2.5. Okay. And one thing that I was going to say, with such a strong end to last season... What are you thinking so far about season two with a three and a two respectively average ratings? Three and two point two five. Right. Um, it's not like it's a you know huge jump like an instant like whoa this is a crazy strong season coming off a crazy weak season it's you know but like it's not like we're jumping from one point fives to fours but. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it feels like this is the the higher end of last season, you know? Right. And so, you know, we're looking up so far. Good stuff is a-coming. And I'm excited because this, this is a great season. Whedonverse podcast rating, 2.25 out of 5 stakes. This week on Clairvoyance Comics, I'm reviewing the first non-canon comic in the Buffyverse. Well, technically I'm not, but the timeline on these comics jumps around all over the place, so I will too. The comic I'm reviewing is Viva Las Buffy, which, while it takes place immediately after the origin and before Buffy Season 1, is actually an arc composed of Buffy the Vampire Slayer issues 51 to 54. Because of this, it somehow manages to spoil events from the television series up to season 5, so I'm afraid I can't recommend it to newcomers as a follow-up to the origin. But the real question is, will I recommend it at all? Let's find out. Let me preface the review itself by saying I am a stickler for consistency and continuity, and I can't stand non-canon works. I hate the very idea of them. Will that fact color my opinion of most of the comics reviewed in this segment? Absolutely. Viva Las Buffy, as previously stated, 
consists of four issues published between November 22, 2002 and February 26, 2003. The issues were originally published separately as Buffy the Vampire Slayer 51 Broken Parts, 52 Full House, 53 Deuces Wild, and 54 The Big Fold. They were later collected and published as Viva Las Buffy on July 2, 2003. All four issues were written by Scott Lobdell and Fabian Nicieza, penciled by Cliff Richards, inked by Will Conrad, and colored by Dave McCraig, with lettering by Clem Robbins. Viva Las Buffy mostly deals with Buffy and Pike deciding to run away to Vegas after the events of the origin, but this comic has a jumpy narrative. Sometimes it's narrated by Pike like he's a doomed film noir protagonist. Other times, it focuses on Buffy's sadly deteriorating home life, Giles competing for the role of Buffy's new watcher, and Angel. I, I, I don't really know what his purpose is in this comic, but he's present. The thing that confuses me probably the most right off the bat is the nature of the relationship between Buffy and Pike. In both the film and the comic The Origin, Buffy and Pike have no chemistry whatsoever. Yet in both, they share a kiss. Even though there's nothing there, you can't deny there was supposed to be something there. In Viva Las Buffy, Pike seems to be hopelessly in love with a Buffy who seems to notice, but not really care. Either way, Pike and Buffy decide to run away to Vegas together. Is it because Buffy wants to escape her parents' constant fighting about her, or is it because they are fully aware of a casino-turned-vamp factory churning out new baddies? Both? It's never really made clear. But they get low-paying jobs at the Golden Touch Casino, which is essentially Shea Vampire. Meanwhile, in England, the Watchers Council is trying to decide who to choose as Merrick's successor. It's not terribly exciting, so I'm just going to gloss over that. Mean Meanwhile, Angel... I don't know. I don't know what Angel is doing. He gets a job at the Golden Touch 2 as a bodyguard, and I really don't understand his purpose. I do know that you could cut him out of this comic and the only thing that would change is it as a whole would make much more narrative sense. There are a lot of things I hate about this comic. Pike's narrating is whiny, and the scenes with Giles in England feel like an excuse to include every single watcher we will ever meet in the series in one scene. It's like the writers are hoping we will clap our hands and say, oh I remember them. Also Angel. If there is one thing I do really enjoy, it's the art of Cliff Richards. He is excellent at capturing likenesses, so the characters that have existing actors or actresses are instantly recognizable. Best of all, this doesn't hurt his interpretations of new original characters either. Everybody looks like they belong. It does bug me, however, how he misspells Casino on every uniform and game token, though. Leave the lettering to the letterers, Cliff. This comic starts off just fine and then gets dumber and dumber as it goes on. And I'm going to totally ignore the fact that Angel gets sucked into the black-and-white 1930s and sires the casino's old owner for no discernible reason because there is a bigger issue I want to talk about. The casino's new owners, Mary Lou and Marcus Seidel. The villains of this comic are a pair of conjoined twins. Let's talk about this. As an identical twin, I'm going to drop some science on you. Conjoined twins are identical. Conjoined twins can only be identical. The two generally accepted ideas for how twins can become conjoined in utero is that the cell didn't fully split into two separate beings, or that it split fully and then fused back together after. Biovular twins, whether we're talking about fraternal, sororal, or mixed-gender twins, are two different fertilized eggs, forming two zygotes. 
They are separated in the womb and are not identical because they were never the same cell to begin with. They just happen to be two babies growing in the womb at the same time. Therefore, non-identical twins cannot be conjoined. So how are Marcus and Mary Lou conjoined? The only theory I will accept is that one of them is transgendered, because anything else hurts my brain to think about. Unfortunately, the problems bleed deeper than that as Marcus is a soulless vampire, and his conjoined sister Mary Lou is simply an evil human. What? What? Are they conjoined by a flap of skin? Deep breaths, clairvoyant. Deep breaths. Now, Lobdell and Nicieza's X-Men comics shaped my childhood, but wow do they miss the tone of Buffy completely. Some people can slip into Whedon-speak like a Buffy-shaped glove. These two can't. Also, if they tried to make the comic consistent with the Buffyverse, which I know they did, they failed. While presenting a largely excusable way of getting from point A, the origin, to point B, welcome to the Hellmouth, they ignore a lot of little things, like the fact that Angel canonically cannot be in Las Vegas at this point, like the fact that vampires don't burst into ash when they die, or the fact that the siren process consists of more than just biting someone. Even the idea that we're supposed to believe that this all happened with 15-year-old Buffy just before moving to Sunnydale is a little far-fetched, though that is referenced in the origin. God, this comic bugs me. I despised this comic, and the more I read it, the more I thought about it, and the more I rewrote this review, I just got angrier at it. I don't care if you're watching along with the Whedonverse podcast, or if you've seen the whole show ten times. Don't pick up this comic. Viva Las Buffy gets a dusting from me. Verdict? Dust. Join us next episode where we'll discuss Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Season 2, Episode 3, School Hard, and Episode 4, Inca Mummy Girl. wait until next week in the meantime check out out now with aaron and abe on hhwlod.com all programs productions characters music and stories discussed in this non-profit podcast belong to joss whedon and or their respective networks all music clips and discussion used is either original royalty free or released under creative commons designation cc by ncsa for more information, visit creativecommons.org. Thanks for listening.